In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of a good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us and cleanse the very stain and save our souls, O good one. The theme that was on the pamphlet last time was do monks or are monks able to help people with their everyday problems and needs, especially marriage, I wrote, considering that the monks aren't married. And therefore, do they really have a right to help or involve themselves in marital affairs, married life, etc., children, and the answer to that is, I was going to actually speak to you uh, uh, 10, 15 minutes about what I think. But instead of doing that, I decided the best thing to do is why don't we go through a contemporary elder of Manathos, who just died in 1994. This particular elder has become one of the greatest elders of the Greek church, his counsels have been translated into so many languages that I'll go through at the end, in English and, and um, Serbian and Russian and so many other languages, and his works are still being published now uh, into many other languages. So he was not a priest. If you notice the list that I was reading in the church, most of the elders were priest monks. Like Porfirios, for example, he was a priest monk. The Russian saint as an elder there, John, he was a priest monk. So the majority of the elders are priests, but monastic priests. There's also married priests. There's monastic priests. Unlike the Catholic Church, where they tell everyone who wants to become a priest has to remain unmarried. In the Orthodox Church, you have the choice to become married or to stay unmarried. St. Paul gave that option to people. He says, I would prefer if you're all like me, but it's to whoever it's given, whoever wants to do it, can do it. As we said in the previous talks, that um, celibacy can be greater because of the fact that you are involving yourself with God continually unlike those who are married, including some, um, including married priests, where they're also involved in their families. And some of you might say, well, if they're involved with their families, that would put them in a better position to help families. But we see the opposite. We see that the majority of the great elders that have lived over the centuries, and especially in our times now, they have all been monks, and there's also been eldresses, nuns, uh, but they are more um, quiet. But in general, they are the ones who are the most. And Elder Paisos was not a priest. He was a simple monk. But he has become one of the greatest elders in the Orthodox Church. Because of him, many people have returned back to the true spirit of the Christian faith. I think it's better if we just start with his life and then we can, from that, I'm, I'm sure that 
you will receive a lot of help. I, when I was putting this together, I was I knew a little bit about his life, but I learned more when I actually had to put it together for for you people here. And together with his life and his counsels, a person becomes completely transformed. And I have to say that even I have read some of his things over the years, and I had the great privilege that I met him about three, four, five times, I can't remember, over my years before I became a priest, and I will talk a little bit about that just to share some things. I met him in Manathos. Okay. Elder Paisios was born in 1924. Now, when you read a life, always try and think of what was 1924, what happened in 1924. So when I read it, immediately I thought to myself, this is not important for you, but just to me. You can do the same for yourselves when you read things. Straight away I thought, in 1924, my mother was born. So therefore, I kind of said to myself, okay, he was born at the same time as my mother. Also in 1924, what was happening in the world at that time? Well, in 1924, there was the calendar change where a lot of churches changed from the old calendar to the new calendar. Now, whether that's right or wrong, we're not going to talk about that today. What we're going to speak about is more that it caused great trouble, especially in the Church of Greece. There were splits because of this calendar issue. That was a very big temptation, very difficult times. 1918, the Tsar of Russia was murdered and his family and the communists in Russia started to persecute the, or everyone, but in particular they didn't like those who went to church. And we know that more died under communism than the first three centuries of Christianity, when the Romans were killing the Christians in the arenas and feeding them to lions and burning them, etc., etc. More Christians died under communism of last century than in those first three centuries. Millions and millions died. Others died, of course, out of political reasons, but many died who were not political. They didn't go against the communist uh, party, but they just wanted to believe in Christ as God, and they didn't like it. So when you look at this, and there's one more thing. In 1924, which we're going to come on to now, well, before I go on to that, Elder Paisius was born in a place called Farasa of Cappadocia, Asia Minor, which is, which is present-day Turkey. Now, many of you don't know, but in Turkey, there were many Greeks living in, in areas where there would be just towns, villages full of them. And the only thing, there had to be one Turkish authority there. So sometimes this whole village was full of Greeks, but they lived under difficulty. But they were very pious. And Elder Paisius was born during the time when it occurred this exchange of population. In other words, the Turks said, we don't want the Greeks. And then the Turks, wherever they were, I think in Greece, and they had made it what's called an exchange of population. A lot of Greeks were tortured and killed during that exchange. So his father, Elder Paisius' father, was the mayor of this particular town. And his father was a very devout Orthodox Christian, and he had a spiritual father which was called priest monk Arsenios. And he was the spiritual father of the family. 
but I think we've got that book at the back, that priest monk Arsenios has now been canonized. He became a saint. So Elder Paiusa's roots are in this, that he was born at a time when this priest monk was the spiritual father of that family, and his father, his name is Prodromos, his father, the father of Elder Paiusios, loved this man so much that he used to write down everything that he used to say. He used to try and keep a diary of what this priest monk was teaching because he was a very, very holy man. So this priest monk, foreseeing this exchange and these problems that were going to occur, he baptised Elder Paiusios as a child and the parents wanted to call him Christos, because that's the name of the grandfather. That's a Greek tradition. Some Greeks still pick it. I don't personally, I'm not really favourable of it. But um, I prefer to call children after saints that helped you and things like that. But that's what was the tradition, especially, and still is in Greece a lot. Russians don't do that. Serbians don't do that. But the, uh, the Greeks are really into naming the child after their grandfather, grandmother, etc. So if there's seven or eight children in the family and each of them has a boy, then each one will be called from the grandfather, for example. So it could be uh, Peter. So the one person's got Peter, the next person's got Peter, the next one, you know, things like that. Well, that's, that's their tradition. But Elder Arsenius said that he does not want to name him Christos, but he wants to name him after himself. So at the time of his baptism, he instructed the godmother, or godfather, I forgot now, to call out the name because it's the godparent who calls out the name. And he says, call out the name Arsenios, not Christos. So he was baptised with the name Arsenios. And even though the parents of the elder Paisios got upset, the priest monk Arsenios said to them, look, I want to leave someone in my shoes. I want to leave someone behind who will carry on uh, my spiritual legacy, my teaching, etc. Now, someone might say, does that mean that elder Paisios was foreordained? In other words, that God picked him and then made him like that? No. The elder foresaw God cannot make someone into something. God can foreknow what someone's going to become, but he can't make that person do something which the person doesn't want to do. In other words, God can't say, okay, out of all the children, I'm going to pick that child, and that child's going to be a great elder, a great saint. Now, the reason why Elder Paisius became a great elder and a great saint of the Orthodox Church is because he chose to do that through his struggles, which you'll see as we go on. So about a month after he was baptised, the Greeks started to leave Turkey to go to Greece. By the way, the young Arsenios, the Elder Paisius, in other words, the young Arsenios had nine brothers and sisters all together. They had a lot of children in those days. That does not occur now much. Uh, Muslims, of course, still do that. They follow God's law naturally. Uh, but the Orthodox, unfortunately, become a little bit more what's called unnatural. Now, we've said in the past that some people cannot have many children because they've got certain problems. 
But as Elder Paisho says in his, in, in his council, I think it was him or maybe another elder, he said it's not really a matter of money, it's a matter of sacrifice. Does someone want to sacrifice? Then they'll have more children. If someone doesn't want to sacrifice, then they'll have only a few children. But that's another topic. Anyway, the elders actually do say, which I've read, that those who have a lot of children in these days, especially these days because no one has them hardly and therefore you're made fun of, you're mocked, etc. People who have a lot of children are like martyrs that have been mocked, put down, laughed at. So, it was a 400-mile journey. They left Turkey and went to Greece. They went to Corfu. Not, not, that's not that important. 40 days after they arrived, the elder Arsenios foresaw that he was going to die. He actually said when he was going to die, and he died 40 days after the Greeks arrived in Greece. He left behind this little child who he gave his name to, Arsenios, who later on would become a great elder like he was, like Elder Arsenios was. As a young child, young Arsenios, he lived an ascetical life. He practiced asceticism. Those Greeks from Turkey especially, when they came to Greece, I don't know if you know this, but when they came to Greece, they were shocked at the impiety of the Greeks that lived in Greece. The Greeks had lost a lot of their faith, even though we're talking about 1924, but a lot of Greeks were not keeping the feasts. They were not leading Christian lives. And so when these Greeks came from Asia, from Turkey and came to um, uh, Greece, they felt really that it was bad. There was a lot of blasphemy in Greece, unheard of over in Turkey, over the Greeks over there. There was a lot of piety with the Greeks over in uh, Asia Minor. Some of these Greeks that came from there, they still continued to try and practice the life that they had learnt for centuries over there. Greece had been influenced quite a lot from Western spirit, from the West, but the Greeks over in Asia Minor were not influenced because they were under the Turks, and the Turks did not allow Western influence in. So sometimes what appears to be bad can also be good. So even though we can say, oh, the poor Greeks, they lived for centuries under these Turks, but yet, in one way, they were protected from the Western influence because Orthodox spirituality, what's we call the Eastern mentality, the Eastern Orthodox or the Eastern uh, Christianity, is different to Western Christianity. Western Christianity like to work things out in their brains. They're very rational. They want to work things out. If they read something which they don't understand, it's simple for them, they just reject it. But in Orthodox spirituality, which we'll see from Elder Paisios, which there's one part where he says, you cannot understand spiritual matters with your brain. And he gave an example. If someone tries to work out spiritual matters with their brain, just with their brain, without God's grace... He said it's like trying to catch air. So as you can see me now, I'm putting my hands up and trying to catch air. You can't catch air. And that's the same as with those who try to understand Christianity with their minds only. 
Obviously, we've got a mind, and we're using our mind. But we need God's grace. And Elder Paisius did that. And we're going to see as we go on how he did it. One clue is that he led an ascetical life. Asceticism, fasting, prostrations, trying to be uh, not have too many comforts. This is what's called asceticism. And this is really strong within the Orthodox Church. However, or even the Buddhists do it, actually, but the Western Christians have rejected this quite a lot. So, in other words, they don't fast, and if they do, they say, well, it's when they feel like it. That's their business. And the Papist Church, the, the Catholics, they do, before they commune, I think one hour fasting, but we read in the New Testament, especially in the epistles of St. Paul, where he speaks continually about fasting. So fasting is very important. Prayer and fasting, they go together. If you just fast but you don't pray, it's demonic. If you just pray but you don't fast, that's not good either. It goes together, hand in hand. Prayer and fasting is what the apostles said, and that's why we have a lot of teachings handed down by the apostles uh, in the spirit of what Christ taught, which is that prayer and fasting is important in the Christian life. So this young Asenios, it was easy for him. Why was it easy for him? It's hard for us. It's easy for him because he was brought up from parents whereby it was part of their life. It was their everyday life. Fasting was part of their life. Praying was part of their life. You know, when it was um, the night or the evening before a feast day or Sunday, they would stop. As soon as the church bells would ring in the evening for service for Sunday, which starts the Saturday night, as soon as the bells would ring, they would stop. They would do their cross and stop all work because they said it's the seventh day that God's given us to rest and devote our life to him. That, of course does not hardly exist because today people work on Sunday. Now, some of you will say, oh, well, we have to work. I'm not interested. Each person has to, you know, some people are nurses. Some people are, could be policemen. Some people are all different things. I know a lot of people that work and they try and, and work out their times to get off on Sundays and feast days. Some even sacrifice their pay and take leave without pay because it might be the ascension of Christ, for example, or other great feast days. And they say, I don't want to work on that day. And Elder Paisius actually says, those who work on great feast days and Sundays, even though they're making money and even though whatever they're doing, it all just dissolves. It doesn't really, it's not blessed. And that's true because he actually says there that they just spend a lot of money on doctors. They spend a lot of money on psychiatrists. They spend a lot of money on everything. They just lose. I know a lot of tradespeople electricians and others and bricklayers, and they say, oh, we have to work on Sunday and all this type of stuff. But they always talk about their financial problems. They just never seem to get ahead. And the elder says that's because it's not blessed. Now, does that mean we're going to go and judge those who work? That's their business. We're looking at ourselves. We don't judge others. We are going to be judged for what we do, not for what others do. He desired to imitate the great feats in other words, all the struggles of the saints. He used to read a lot of lives of saints. And we said the lives of saints, which is what we're doing anyway today, even though he's not being canonised, he will be canonised one day, but he, at this time he's not 
canonised, and that's why in the service today I commemorate him as one who is reposed. Even though in God's eyes he could be a saint, but until the church canonises him, we cannot commemorate him in church as a saint. But we can privately, for those who want, can pray. And his grave is in, in Thessalonica, just outside there. A lot of people go to the graves, and that's how these saints become known. Through their miracles before they uh, died, but also after they died, that they give help to those who ask from him or them or her. So he learnt a lot from the lives of saints, and we also should learn from the lives of saints, not from the television. We don't learn much on the television. If the television and internet were so enlightening as some believe, I haven't now been in the schools for many years, but I keep in contact with many teachers. My last year was 1990, so I haven't taught now for 17 years, but I've got a lot of people that are teachers. I keep in contact with a lot, and plus I talk to people. Um, without being rude, not being rude, but, but I've never seen such a time of dumbness in all my life as there is today. Even though we have the internet and even though we have all these computers and programs, etc., people are becoming more and more and more dumb. In my days, I mean, used to get some, some kids that might have been in the middle class, some when they couldn't even add and, add and subtract. I think now it's getting worse. And sometimes the government does try and hide that by fudging figures and things like that to make out that the uh, literacy level's high and the numeracy level's high, but a lot of times it's, they're not really a proper representation. And I think now on the TV they are saying a lot, on the news and reports, that Australia is really low in uh, education, quite, quite low. So does that mean that we don't learn about secular things? Yes, we do, but not at the cost of our spiritual life. Elder Paisios knew the most important thing, which we should know as well. What's the most important thing? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all the rest will come. Everything else will come if we seek first the kingdom of heaven. Our spiritual life comes first, everything else comes second. Today, everything else comes first and spiritual life comes second, and that's why nothing works out for anyone hardly. We must seek God first. And you might say, well, it's a bit hard. You know, we're not monks and we're not nuns. We live in the world. Well, the elder Paisios also lived in the world, as we're going to see now. And we've got some very uh, marvellous examples of him. So his heart and mind was totally devoted to Christ, the mother of God, the saints, etc. That's where he tried to put his heart and his mind devoted to that. During the, his free time, he loved to walk in the woods. Now, I put in free time, I made sure I emphasise free time, because some might say oh, that uh, we can't just pray continually, which is true to some extent. But it says here that he especially devoted himself to prayer in his free time. If that's his free time, what did he do other times? Go out, have fun. No, in his free time, what the life means by that is that he did his work, he helped with his family, and in his free time, he would devote himself more to God. But today, it's a little bit strange because people's free time is all the time. People want to have 24-7 free time. 
People don't want to study, people don't want to work, people don't want to help in their families, people don't want anything at all. All they want is free time. Fun, fun, fun. Well, that's okay. Whoever wants to follow me can follow me. That's what Christ said. Whoever wants. If you want to follow him, you're free to follow. If you don't, you're free not to. Say, uh, Elder Paisios, he chose to follow Christ. He chose to cultivate a spirit of struggle. He was struggling continually, trying to unite with Christ as much as he can. So he walked through the woods. He loved silence and he would pray for hours on end. He practiced unceasing prayer. He was special because even when he was working, he would try to practice prayer. Now, someone the other day asked uh, one of the girls here, Serbian girls, ask, how do we pray when we're at university, etc., etc. Yes, for us who have not been brought up in the Christian spirit from young, these things are difficult. And God will judge us differently to the way he judges those who have been brought up uh, in the Christian faith from young. Elder Paisius was from young, brought up in the spirit of God. And therefore, for him, praying was easier. Devoting himself to God was easier. For us, that have been brought up, well, where have we been brought up? Uh, in front of the TV. So for us, who have been brought up in front of the TV from day one, many of us, in my times, I don't even know if my parents had a TV when I was born. I was born in 58. The TV came out in 56. I'm hoping, I don't think they had it. They could have bought it later on because they were expensive in those times. But anyway, that's those times. But now, the TV's been around for decades and decades. So a lot of children today that have been brought up have been brought up and have been placed in front of the TV from the day they came from the hospital. Oh, sorry. They watched it in the hospital as well because they're usually where, where the women are in the eternity. They have their TV as well. So the baby can watch some TV and entertain himself. So that is how children have been brought up today. And therefore, we cannot expect much from them because mentally they have been damaged. And Elder Paisius does say that. And all the elders say that, that I've been reading lately, that the TV damages the mind of people. Those of you who have got young children or those of you who are going to have children you're going to get married, if you want to do the right thing of your children, you don't want to put them through torment, don't put them in front of the TV. And as I said, that even all these different secular people there are all saying this, doctors, psychiatrists, they're all starting to say that the TV is damaging. Now, some have even gone as far as said, well, for the first uh, two years, don't let them watch any TV at all. Well, thanks God, for even they've got to the first two years. At least they've got that, because even if they don't let them watch for the first two years, those children have already got a chance. But it should be much more than that, because of the effect. I was speaking to someone a few months ago, a woman, and she started to talk to me and she broke down and started to cry and she was saying to me that she's confused and I said well what are you confused of and she started to speak about um, some old shows that she used to watch when she was young she was talking about one called Back to the Future which some of you might know uh, I forgot the actor's name no Fox someone 
Michael J. Fox, yes. So she watched this movie, all of them, I think there was around four of them or something like that. She watched it when she was young. And because her parents were fighting continually, which is really horrible for children, they become very disturbed, she tried to find refuge in the TV, which is what a lot of people do. Some people do it in drugs, alcohol, sex, etc., working a lot. There's all different ways of doing it. Her, her refuge was the TV. So she would go into the TV and enter into the fantasy of this Back to the Future show. And she said to me, and she said this in tears, which I was trying to tell you about a month ago, that she said in tears that she really liked that actor. She loved that actor. She looked up to the actor. She identified with that actor. And then she said that she would become disturbed when she would see the actor in another show. And I said to her, well, how old were you when you watched these shows? Old. She wasn't that young. I mean, okay, maybe some three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds and seven-year-olds can become confused seeing one actor as a good person, another actor as a person that kills someone, and they get confused. This is the, what we do to our children. But this person was a bit older. She might have been 10, 11, 12, teenager. And then she was saying this, her pain, and she was saying that she just wanted to um, always be in that fantasy because that's where she felt good. Turn off from the parents, turn off from the world, turn off from everything, and to be in that fantasy. In India, which has got the most films uh, that are produced is in India, and because Indians are very depressed, because they're very poor, their only way of escaping their reality is to go and watch these movies. Now, some people say, what's wrong with that? We don't escape reality. That's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to accept our reality, with, as we'll see later on, with patience, trust in himself, etc., not to go into fantasy. And this woman, a grown woman now, was just crying and crying. She says, I'm confused. I'm confused of my emotions. I'm confused of this. And I said to myself, well, at least she's understanding her confusion. At least she understands the damage that she's gone through. There are many who are damaged, but they don't know it. And they keep on drinking or taking drugs or whatever else they're doing to try and suppress their confusion and their suffering. So, for young children to watch these things from young, uh, it is child abuse to the highest form. To the highest form. When I see young children in front of the television, my heart becomes pained because I know that those children are the future, the future schizophrenics, the future... Uh, de depressed people. That's how they're going to become. Now, some of you might not believe that. That's up to you. Those who want the best for the children. And what's your children going to miss out anyway? Let's just say I'm wrong. Let's just say I'm, a, I'm deceived and I'm just a, a mad person. That could be possible. What are your children going to miss out if they don't watch TV for the first few years of their life anyway? What are they going to miss out? Nothing. And, you know, a lot of times people don't even listen to the church. Sometimes I wish I had money and bring over, bring over like Oprah or someone of those people to come over so she can speak. Because if she speaks, 
or these other people that we have in Australia, I can't even remember them who they are now, all these gurus who believe that they know everything. If they speak, people listen. If the church speaks, no one hardly listens. So I'm saying to you that TV is bad for the children from very young, and it's like blank. Some of you, some of you are, are listening. Some of you aren't sure. Some of you are sleeping. That's fair enough. And if we have someone else come in, then it might be more listened to. I have my opinion on childcare. And lo and behold, on Current Affair, one of those Today Tonight's, one of those shows, um, there was a fellow there who's got a book on bringing up boys, I think it is, and he actually said that he wants the rules to change in the workplace where women are given more opportunity to take leave, not to go back to work, and he believes that for the first few years of life, the child needs the mother. But this person is quite a, an authority, and that's what he's saying now. He can say it. We can't say it. Now, that's not correct, because as Orthodox Christians, you should listen to the church and listen to the clergy and listen to our elders, etc., who have one aim, the salvation of the soul. This person who's saying these things, he's saying very good things. Some of them are wrong, but let's just say he's saying some very good things. And I was surprised with what he was saying. However, he hasn't got the interest of the salvation of the soul of the children. He just has the happiness of the children in his life, which is at least it's something. However, the elders, the church has one aim, the salvation of the soul. You don't damage the mind of your children at early age. And they are different. Children that have not been brought up in that way are different to the ones who have. And one example before I go on, years ago I was with a group of children and we went to some type of um, animal place up somewhere west where they got little baby animals and there was children there that were homeschool children, children that hadn't gone to school, but that's, that's, that's another one, but the children hadn't watched TV anyway. And there was other children there that had gone, that had watched a lot of television. I noticed that the children who had not watched television, when they saw the animals, they were more excited, they were vibrant, they were shining, they were smiling, they were different. Now, the ones who are saturated with the television, because they watch the animals on the television, even though they're not real, but they watch it there on the television, they were bl bland in their face, they were just dead and I actually observe that I love to observe and I observe that these children who, are, who have watched a lot of television are desensitized to real things they see a mountain on the TV different to see a mountain or a waterfall on the TV whether the sounds on it it's not even natural it's not even the sound and you don't even hear the when a waterfall and you hear the vibrations of the different mountains, what do you call them, the, the um, sound waves hitting different mountains, it's a whole different, that's reality. But when you watch it on the TV coming out of the speakers, that's not a reality. These things are not real. So Elder Paisios was not brought up because the TV didn't exist in those times. However, he didn't waste his time on rubbish. He spent his time on seeking God. As he was struggling, 
from young, he started to have this desire to become a monk. He also read books, Lives of Saints, all different lives, but he also read Lives of Saints on monastics. And his heart was turned. He said, I want to become a monk. This is from young. Of course, there are others who became monks who became, uh, I didn't have a desire to become a monk. I didn't even know what they were when I was young. I became later on. It doesn't, doesn't, but I'm just saying in general, and we don't make our children say, you're going to become a monastic, you're going to become a nun, you're going to become a monk. These things are stupid. We let children develop in themselves how they feel and what they want. And that's just as stupid as trying to force children to become doctors or become this or become that because that's what you want. You can inspire, you can encourage, but you don't force children to do what you want them to do because that's what you want for your own ego or for whatever other reason. Now, this is a quite a blow here. After completing elementary education, he only actually had an education of primary school. That's, that's excellent. Why is that excellent? Because it puts the wise of this world down. Who would come to him later on, as we'll see? Doctors, professors, great politicians would come to him. All these educated people. The educated people came to ask of the uneducated for his wisdom, for his guidance. And that I think God did on purpose. I think it's because we have such a thing about education that we forget that education is worthless without faith in God. First is faith in God. And some of the greatest elders in Greece, Elder Paisios was only primary school education. Another saint, another elder which we're going to do later on, Elder Porfirios, second-class education, and not even, he goes, he said, I didn't even do well in that. Second-class education. Uh, Elder Yakovos of Evia, I think, again, I think he had a very minimal type of education. And these are some of the greatest elders of our times, uneducated. So it's something to think about. When I first entered the church, I remember I went to Manathos. And I went to an abbot of a monastery. And because I was um, a teacher and I could read things and I could remember things, I had the idea that because of that, that I would be at a better position to, uh, to study Christian things. So I went to this, uh, to this uh, abbot and I said to him, aren't I at, this is in the beginning when I first changed, Aren't I at an advantage because I actually am educated to some extent? I can read things better and I can understand, retain? He goes, no, it's a disadvantage because of the pride that you get obstructs you. Pride does not mix with Christianity. If you've got pride, you will never understand anything of Christianity. Even the most basic teaching of Christ will not be understood from, from those who have got pride. It doesn't mix. And I think that's why God has allowed in our times these elders who have come along with these limited education. I think it was to um, put down uh, this spirit because a lot of parents, I want my children, I want them to go to uni, I want them to do this, I want them to do that. You know, fair enough, that's okay. He's, he's very for education, actually, or the basios. He, was, he encouraged parents, yes, you should try and educate your children, you should try. 
If you have to spend money for your children for education, do that. They want to learn languages, that's okay. However, first is Christ. That is the problem today. People have first education. I said that joke last week. It's not really a joke anyway, but I said it as a thing, you know. For some people, it's seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and everything will be granted. And for others, it's seek ye first good HSCs. And um, there was a person that used to live nearby to me and all she would talk about was her son that he came, that he got... 490, I used to hear it continuous in my ears, 490 out of 500 in the HSC, and he's now he's studying doctor and doctor and doctor and doctor. And one day, I was only a lay person then, one day I just couldn't take it. I go, how about his spiritual life? Does he believe? Does he believe anything? And I remember his father, um, like father, like son, his father, I was coming back from school when I was a teacher, walking there, and all of a sudden his father came up to me, and I don't know, somehow got into a conversation. And I mentioned something about the church, I can't remember what I said, and his father goes, oh, please, he said, I cannot believe such an educated person as yourself, because I used to tutor his daughter. I can't believe such an educated person believes such nonsense, he said to me. This is nonsense. And I said to him that... Um, because when people are in that state, you can't do much. Sometimes it's not even, maybe it's sometimes better not to say anything. Just pray for them. Because you can make them worse. But I just said something like, well, um, I hope that you work out that it's true before you pass away. And that's all I said. And just left him there. But their obsession was their son becoming a doctor. So what? I don't understand. So what? What does that do? I used to say years ago as a layperson, I used to do some talks. I say, what are we going to do? You know, when the person dies, why don't we not be hypocrites? Don't put a cross on the grave. If he was a great soccer player, put a soccer ball. If he was a gold medalist in the Olympics, put the gold medal there. And if he was a, uh, he's got a university, then put his degree there in a plaque. But don't put the cross because it's hypocrisy. Either one or the other. Doesn't mean that we can't do the rest, but not when we have it as our, our heart is to be devoted just on that. So, after he completed elementary education, he worked as a carpenter. He wanted to imitate Christ in his life. Why? Because Christ was a carpenter, and in his simplicity, the young Arsenios, later on to become older Paisios, he wanted to imitate Christ, to become a carpenter. Nothing wrong with that. Today, if someone says, I want to become a carpenter, they'll put their children down. Well, what's wrong with that? It's too much. He, um, he grew into a very sensitive and loving person. Now, we come to 1945. So he was born in 24... 1945 makes him 21, if I'm right. He was drafted into the army. 1945 was the end of Second World War, but Greece went through another war. Who knows what it was? It's the Civil War. And the Civil War was with the communists. Communists had taken over Russia, Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia. They came down to Greece. They wanted Greece as well. But... Now, some of you might say, oh, that's because he's Greek and he's speaking like that. But the truth is the truth. And I don't, not because I'm Greek, because if something's wrong and it's Greek, I'll tell you, it doesn't bother me. I'm not, 
this nationalistic thing. In Greece, they couldn't do it. In Russia, they did. And in the other countries, they did. Because spirituality was very low. And God allowed that, those countries to be taken over. Yes, as a punishment, but also as a benefit. Because from that, these countries later on, when they finally got rid of communism, through their suffering, also produced great fruits of spirituality, as we can see from those countries now. But in Greece... They weren't able to do it because there was still a lot of faith in Greece and monasticism was very strong in Greece. Russian monasticism before the revolution was really low, quite worldly, and there was only pockets here and there, Optima and a few other places where there was proper uh, orthodox monasticism. But in Greece... Monasticism was stronger, especially because of Mount Athos. And they were able to avoid the communists taking over. And it was a very, it was a tough war. I think it was about four years or more. He came in, the young Arsenios came in at 21 years old at the end of Second World War. So he was involved in the civil war. He was in the army for three and a half years and his job was that uh, he was a wireless radio operator. When you read his books, which I'll show you later on, when you, if you read his books, he makes a lot of examples about the army. He often speak about the army and he often speak about his, um, about radio operation, about the wireless and signals. And he uses all these analogies, as we say, like he uses those examples to explain Christian concepts. He would always call back on his army days on his days as a wireless operator. And if you read a lot of even contemporary people, if they were people from the village, they would use a lot of village examples about plants and things and crops and things like that. What do I use? I use things about teaching because that's what I was for many years. So I go back to that. It just comes out automatically. I can't deny it. That's, that, that's it. That's what I did for many years. He speaks continually in his councils about that, which we'll come to later on. Even during these difficult times of the civil war of Greece, he continued to live an ascetical way of life. There's what I wanted to say to you. For those who say, we can't live a Christian life in the world, it's too hard. But yet he managed to live a Christian life in times of war. That is very, very important. He practiced prayer, he practiced humility, and above all, he practiced love for his neighbor, something which is lacking today. Everyone wants to be spiritual, everyone wants to be Christian, but as long as it's not to do with loving our neighbor, loving uh, others around us. There are men who want to become holy, but don't really care about their wives. There's wives who want to become holy, but don't care about their husbands, or their children, or their parents, or this, or that, etc. Our brothers, our sisters, our friends our relatives, the neighbours that we live around. Everyone wants to become spiritual, but as long as we cut off from our life, our neighbours. Why? Because to serve our neighbours, to love our neighbours, to love those around us needs humility and it's practical, it's real. But to go in your room and pray and to just read books and pray and do these things, it's easier because it can lead you into a deception. See, 
if someone's married and their wife starts abusing them, their husband, for example, you can be in fantasy by reading books, but when you've got to deal with something like that, it's real. And what's the first thing that comes in us to do? To retaliate, to rip the other person apart, sometimes even physically, to tell them off. And that's why the loving of neighbour is very, very difficult. But it's real. And this is the way. If you don't love those who you see, how can you love God who you don't see? I love God, many people say. I love God. But you can't see any love for their neighbour. So therefore, as St John the theologian, I think if I remember right, said, if you hate your brother and you say you love God, you're a liar. Instead, you're a murderer if you hate those around you. And some will say, oh, well, but we can hate heretics. No, you can't hate the, even them. Oh, we can hate atheists. No, you can't even hate atheists, as we've heard in the service book, that in the prayers that we did today. There was a lot of things referring to that. Our job is to love all. God's job is to take care and bring these people to the truth to help them. We don't have a right to hate. However, I'll say it again, like that girl was saying about that you're watching the Back to the Future show. For, it, that was easy. She sits in her room and she um, sucks on a milkshake and then she watches and goes into her Lululand. But this, this same thing, what we did from young, watching the TVs and going into Lululand, we transfer over into our spiritual life. We do the same. We read our spiritual books. We go into our deceptive prayers. We believe that we're close to God. We believe we love God. We believe, we believe, we believe. But where's the practical? The practical is to show whether we've got love for God. To show that we are truly Christian is the way we relate to others. St. Anthony says our salvation is completely linked with our neighbour. If you want to know if you're going to be saved, it's how you relate to your neighbour, how you relate to those around you. That's how we know. A little exercise, practical. Who believes that they love God? One person. Maybe the person does and I don't know. That's okay. No judgment there. But I've got to say the following. I find it hard. Now, some people will say, well, you're a priest, etc. Yes, it doesn't matter. To love God is the highest virtue. And we have to struggle for many years to acquire love of God. And this is where we differ to the other religions, in particular in the Protestant Christianity. As I said, again, not to judge, but when they say, I love the Lord and the Lord and the Lord, and continually of, along those lines, where did they obtain that love so quickly? I mean, one day they say that they're sinning. Okay, that's good, that's okay. They, they were sinning. Then suddenly they come to Christ, they repent, and they change their life. That's good. 
and then suddenly they've got love for God. But in orthodox spirituality, that does not compute. It does not compute. Because love of God is the highest virtue. And actually, Elder Paisio says somewhere else, he says, um, don't try, listen to this, a great elder. He had love of God. But listen to what he said to the people. Don't try and struggle towards loving God before before your time. In other words, you can fall into deception. And a lot of people have fallen into deception. They believe that they love God. And the demons don't mind if we believe we love God as long as we don't really love God. And he actually said, be careful on trying to strive towards loving God prematurely because you can fall into demonic deception. Let's see whether Elder Paisios, young Asenios, in the war, let's see whether he had love of God. Their life says he had love of God. What did I say is the sign of love of God? If you love God, then you have to love everyone. Let's have a look. An example of this love is as follows. He was especially concerned about his fellow soldiers who were married and had children. He used to uh, tell them, this is what he used to say to them, you have, a, you have your wife and children waiting for you. I have no one. I'm single. I'm free. So what he would say to them is, don't you go into dangerous missions. Let me go. Many times he lost his life in order to save someone else's. He always wanted to be in the front line or take part in the most dangerous operations as he wished to put his own life in danger first. He felt the pain that this soldier's wife would feel, the pain that this soldier's children would feel if their father was to die in the war. And he said to himself, well, I don't have any children, I'm not married. I'll go in the front. And he used to volunteer to do that. It's also interesting in one of the books that I read that he said that a lot of soldiers had that type of virtue, that characteristic that they actually used to say, for example, if they were in an area and there was no water, but the water was in an area, but there was all guerrillas there, as we call them, those people that were, you know, hiding... The communists, in other words, they were in that area. So they would have to go maybe at night to try and go into there, collect some water and bring it back for the soldiers. Now, this is quite amazing. And he would say that a lot of people would say, I'll go. I'll go. And there was like a bit like an argument. No, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. So it was like a, such a virtue that these people that lived in these times of the, of the war Truly, I would say, loved God because of the fact that they were willing to give up their life for others. And that is a great virtue. Any questions so far? Yes. Remember St. Ignatius Branchino, the Russian saint, that he said that women, for example, who read romance novels, these are women that are older, not like our kids, like 
who watched TV from day one. These are women who lived in Russia a couple of hundred years ago. There was no television, and they, but there was a lot of these romance novels, and they would read those romance novels, and that affected them, maybe when they were teenagers. And he said that when those women come into the Orthodox faith to start practicing Orthodox spirituality more intensely, they actually mix the emotional, the romanticism with the with their spiritual life. They can't separate the two. So what happens is that people, because their fantasies have been stimulated so much from the television, that they fantasise. I had another fellow the other day who said to me, um, it was during the Olympics, and he said to me, I can't watch the Olympics. I go, why? He goes, oh, if I watch the Olympics, then I think I'm an Olympian. If I watch an army show, then I think that I'm a soldier or a commando. If I watch um, a cop show, then I think that I'm a cop. If I show, like, whatever he watches, that's it. He's it. And he goes, I can't watch it because it makes me sick. It actually, I can feel the sickness. He never felt it before, but he only feels it now because he's starting to struggle somewhat and he's becoming more sensitive to himself. And he goes, I can't watch it. Like that young lady that I spoke of before, she says, I can't watch things on TV because it really plays with my emotions and it makes me sick. But she never thought that before. You only notice these things when you start to lead more of a deeper life. You begin to see the mess. All of us, as we struggle, the more we see ourselves, that's a sign that we are somewhat progressing. When we don't see ourselves, when we don't see what's in us, when we don't see our faults, our passions, that means that we're not progressed. So in, your, in answer to your question, is that a lot of people, because of this way that music, television, the books, the school, the education, a lot of things like that, their emotions and their minds are so affected that when they read things, they go off. They can't understand themselves. They don't know themselves. They become confused. So they actually can believe like the person who thinks is a commando or an Olympian or whatever. These people, we can read sometimes the Bible, read the lives of saints and start going, in, going off in our minds and start believing that we've already got that. Once someone came to confess to me ooh, about 15 years ago and he was speaking to me um, and he was saying all his problems and this and that and I was quite impressed that I thought to myself this person is, is quite progressed because he's actually, he was speaking like a person who's in struggle, in a real struggle. But then I started to ask questions and he started to get confused. And then I realised what he was doing. He had memorised the things from books and he was actually telling me in there, he goes, and I feel so bad with myself and I feel pain. And he was actually going all like that, but it was all fantasy, complete fantasy. It wasn't real. These elders of the old times, they were more realistic because they weren't affected to the same way as we are in Western society, especially from these influences of the television and music, etc. Does that answer? Is that what you're trying to say? They can believe it. Now, if they are in ignorance to what they believe, then God is different towards them than someone who's kind of conscious what he's saying is wrong and he's proud. Sins or deceptions which are in ignorance will be judged differently to deceptions that are cultivated by the person and does not want to change. I have many deceptions, but those deceptions, if they're in ignorance, God will, will be different to me than if I know that what I'm thinking and feeling is wrong, but I persist with stubbornness, pride, unrepentance, uh, etc., different things. 
God understands the times we live in. God understands that we have been affected. Elder Paisha has even said something else. He said the, a lot of the young people today are being, dis, like being affected a lot by in the universities and the television and propaganda. And he said that a lot of people are kind of lost in a sense from all that, from being taught all these wrong things, things alien to Christianity. And he said something, which was only in passing, but I caught it because I always believed this, but I finally saw it, which was good. And he said, but God will judge them according to how they would have been if they had not been defiled by these things. That's important. Now, I'll explain that again. God will judge those people, all of us, even if we've been affected or damaged or whatever. He'll judge us according to how, like, for example, a child has been abused from young and that child is mentally disturbed to the maximum. He really can't get better. I mean, we've got all things are possible, but in general, humanly, that person is going downhill, that can commit crimes or on drugs or whatever. But that person was from young abused, could have been sexually abused, physically abused, whatever. They're damaged. And so we can say permanently damaged. However, God will judge that person according to the way he would have or she would have become if they weren't damaged. So God knows already how we could have become. God knows how we would have all become if we lived in the time of um, Elder Paisius in Turkey where there was piety, where there was no TV, there was none of these Western influences. God will know. God, for example, will know how I would have been, whether I would have led a spiritual life, whether I would have done proper things, or whether I would have become evil. He knows that. So, you know, we sometimes look at people with our external eyes and go, that person's going to go to hell and that person's not going to go to hell and that person's this and that person's that. But we don't know at the last day we will be surprised. We're going to see in heaven those who we thought would never go to heaven and those who we thought would go to heaven won't be in heaven. So we've got to be very, very careful. Spiritual life, as Saint, as the elder says, you can't grasp it with your mind. Now there are some here who don't believe what I'm saying, or don't believe the words of the elder. That's okay, and I'm not going to force those people to believe because I know that only God's grace can actually make a person to understand. If the person's looking for God's grace, if the person's humbling themselves, God will give them the grace to understand these things. And that's how we explain in Russia, for example, during communism, there were so many people who were really staunch atheists. They were full-on atheists, they would teach people atheism, they hated the church, etc. They were involved in the destruction of churches, in the murdering of priests and monks and Christians, etc. And that person all of a sudden changes. What made him change? Did someone come up and... No, God's grace changed that person and suddenly they repent and become devout Orthodox Christians or, or even other Christians too, to some extent. So our judgment is darkened. And when we start going through some examples of the older, we'll see things in there that just don't make sense to us. See, in the world, two and two equals four. But in God's eyes, two and two can sometimes be five, be six, be 20, or be pi, which is 3.142 or whatever. It's all different. 
God's way of looking at things is different to the way that we think. Two and two equals four humanly, logically, yes, using our minds, logically. Spiritually, it can be different numbers altogether, and that's what we have to understand. Don't try and understand spirituality, which is what I was, that was a good discussion we had last month, um, where, I was, where I was saying don't grasp, don't try and grasp spiritual things with your mind. We need God's grace. Another question before we go for our break? Yes? Slowly, acquire it. We can have little sparks of it. Sometimes we can feel God is God is good to us. God is kind, and we get that little sparks here and there where we can actually feel that. And other times we don't feel it at all. It depends on our spiritual struggle. But these things are developed as time goes on. We have elders in the desert great saints, elders that lived in the ascetical life in the desert and they said, I fought with anger for 14 years that's just one of the passions so we have to fight even with unbelief we have to fight with um, everything is a process see the Protestants say I am saved we say we are being saved we're in the process of being saved. And there are some exceptions where some saints, like St. Paul said, I am saved. But in general, if you read all the first centuries of, of um, Christianity, even before the division of the churches, people were always unsure. Am I going to be saved? Am I not going to be saved? When am I going to go? Am I going to be ready? Give me more time. Oh, God, give me more time. Give me more time to repent. This is the spirit of what it is. You know, do I really love God? This is the way the saints used to speak. Do I really have true repentance? Do I love my neighbour? Am I going to be ready for when I die? So this is the orthodox spirituality. It differs to other faiths. Orthodox spirituality equals humility. And humility is something which is com- like really doesn't hardly exist today because everything's geared towards pride. You know, be proud of yourself and you've got to love yourself. All these new things now and, and you know, you're great and you're this and you're that and all these things that we've been brought up from young. These things didn't exist in the old days. Strictly speaking, if you read the canons of the church, the church is against acting. Why? Because you are playing something that you're not. Our spiritual life is to be who we are, not what we're not. And that's why the church actually in the ancient times 
uh, uh, forbade people to be actors. And actually the word um, uh, Pharisee, I can't remember how I read it, the word Pharisee was actually linked to the actors because they were acting something like they weren't, like the Pharisees used to do. And um, Saint, so Elder Pais was actually said that when he used to see children come in to visit him, that he would notice that they would just, you know, talk, talk, and they says they were like tape recorders. They'd be, they would be um, repeating what they've seen on the television, and he, with his spiritual eyes, actually could see that they had some type of demonic influence on them, that it was actually affecting them. And he said that they lose their power of critical thinking. Now, as for actors, some of them that were acting from young actually lost themselves, became drug addicts, and what we know about that, the child actors. Some of them have had seven, eight divorces. Some of them um, have not really very successful people. Some of them are actually Christian in their own ways, and they try to do, and that's the, that's the way they make their living. In general, for Orthodox Christians, that we have to understand that this is contrary to God's law. As for them, we're not judging them. That's God's business to look at them, and he'll judge them as he knows best. But acting is not good because we have to always be who we really are, not to act what we're not. Any other question? Yes. So I got distracted because of that. So yeah. can you can you start again? Sorry. Like for example, uh, I'm saying um, kids might often role play their parents, which is in a way sort of like acting. For example, don't like to turn to cooking or taking care of kids. Children. Children that are young don't even know that they're acting. It's part of their game. The only problem is, is when they get older and they continue in that way, that's where the problem becomes. And because of this television, etc., that people continue to act. And that's why a lot of people that I speak to, especially when they open themselves up, they actually say, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to act. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to be with people. I don't know anything. They, com they are very confused. A lot of social anxiety today, a lot of problems that exist today uh, didn't exist that much before. It's because people are confused because their examples were from the television. They watched all silly things. They watched concepts that were too much for them to, cop to, you know, to, to, to grab in their heads. So there's a lot of confusion. There is harmless fantasy that children have when they're young, make-believe things. Sometimes they play priests. Sometimes they play mothers and fathers and all these type of things. That um, is when they're young, and they don't really do it on purpose. That's just the way they are. But as they grow up, they grow out of that. You know, it's, that's why you don't have a... If you have a 15-year-old girl, for example, who thinks that she's um, going to be... that she is Nicole Kidnam whatever, and yet she's overweight. And, and these are like that, people who are completely living in, in a, such a fantasy that they believe that they're beautiful or they believe that they're talented or they believe that they're great singers. You know, those Americanized, Australianized people that go there and they're singing, everyone's laughing at them, but they still believe that they're really good. These people are products of the generation of the television, like people who aren't good-looking, for example, 
but they believe that they are. It doesn't mean that they're lesser people because, as Elder Paisha says, or because you don't look nice or you have certain problems, it can be good because it gives you humility. It doesn't matter. In God's eyes, he doesn't take notice of that. He takes notice of our soul. In the world, there's this brainwashing to do with good looks, etc. But the main thing is a person can be singing like, um, like say, a dog that's been run over and it's half dying and it's, you know, yelping. So, therefore, you can have a person that sings like that and to believe that they actually are fantastic singers. And then you've got other people that just are overweight or they're not who they are, you know, they're, just, they're not, and they believe that they're beautiful and good-looking, etc., etc. All these things are continuation of their childhood. That's not right. That's sick. That's uh, a problem. And that's why we want to avoid putting our children through that. A lot of people have very active fantasies, and they actually say to me, I want to be in a fantasy because I feel safe. I actually feel safe in my fantasy that I am whoever, whoever they are, whoever they think they are, they feel safe. And this is the forerunner to schizophrenia. What's a schizophrenic is someone who just believes things that don't exist. A lot of that, later on, that's my, my own thing, but later on it will be linked, a lot of it to the television. Uh, a lot of problems with schizophrenia today will be linked to that, if it, if it hasn't already. Okay, we'll have a, um, a break. You are welcome to have anything you want from there, drinks and coffee and teas, and, and that way we can turn that thing off because it's driving me mad. And we'll come back in a, about five or ten minutes. A couple of comments that were said during the break, which was interesting, just quickly. Um, one of our Serbian friends up there said that... Um, he actually read a book on some research that was done by some German scientists, doctors, about children and why they are the way they are, a lot of problems. And he, they discovered that the children that watched a lot of the television, which is what I was trying to say, I didn't say that point, which is actually good, that their world is in their mind because what they see on the TV is all mental and they don't really do much of themselves in anything and they believe what they see, that it's easy. So when they have to live in the real world, a lot of times they can't do things and that's why they can't go well at school or they can't work at jobs a lot of times and they can't have families because everything is in their mind. But as human beings, we are practical. We don't just think about life we live life. And because the kids don't live life, because they're too busy watching those things, and it's all in their minds, that's why a lot of them become very ill later on. So there are, there, I'm sure there is a lot of research out there, and one day I want to do a topic on that, but I just wanted to touch on that because it's very, very... Um, it is very um, uh, important thing, very painful thing to watch that, <clears throat> watch children be affected so much. In 1949, he was finally discharged from the army and he immediately left for Manathos because that's what his desire was. He wanted to go to Manathos to become a monk. He only stayed there a few months because his mind was preoccupied with his sisters. His sisters hadn't married yet. He had, he had a few sisters and he wanted to first take care of them to make sure that they were married and set up before he 
left to go to become a monk. So he returned back to his town, fixed up his sisters, worked all that out, and then in 1950 he left and went to Mount Athos. It is important to note that even as a lay person, even before he became a monk, he was so holy, he, had, he, he was so pure in his um, spiritual life that he already began to experience divine revelations like he would, um, something which I don't, this is, you know, you've got to be careful not to try and imitate these things because these people had a lot of humility. One example is that he wanted to be killed instead of his fellow soldiers and also the fact that they were brought up in the spiritual life from young. We have not been brought up like that, so we shouldn't try and imitate these things. What I'm trying to say is that he was—he used to see visions of Christ, the Mother of God, etc. However, as he became more and more into started to lead more of a monastic life, these visions and these experiences intensified. In 1954... He was tonsured and became a monk. He, for the first four years, he was a novice. And then in 1954, he became a monk and they gave him the name Averkius. So he was baptised Arsenios, but then as a, when he was his first tonsure, his first level, they called him Averkius. He was a conscientious monk and he displayed great zeal in the practice of obedience. The monk's main function, the main activity that a monk and a nun does is, is obedience. Because obedience is what truly shows if we're humble. See, when someone tells us to do something, we reject. We kick. I don't want to do that. I want to do this. So wives, if their husbands tell them to do anything, they kick. Children kick when their parents tell them to do something. Uh, people that go to work, they kick when they're... Um, when their bosses tell them something. And that's why a lot of them don't work, because they can't take being told what to do. Uh, tradespeople, they say, oh, we can't find apprentices because they, they just don't listen. People cannot follow instruction. What does that mean? Pride, that we are living in a time where pride is at its greatest. So, Elder Paisios was humble, and his humility showed from his love of his neighbour and his obedience in the monastic life. Now, there are other zombies who are part of um, cults, etc., who are obedient, but you can see the difference between an obedient wife who willingly becomes obedient, or an obedient monk, an obedient nun, an obedient child, where they're not like robots, where they're not spaced out because they're being forced to be obedient, but they're being obedient out of love because, that's, because they know that that is the best for their souls. Obedience is really important. And if we want to practice spiritual life, one of them, as I said, is sacrificing for our neighbours, serving our neighbours, in our family especially, but also practising obedience. You don't have to be a monk. Someone says, oh, okay, well, he became a monk and therefore he led an obedient life. I can't do that because I'm in the world. Why? Why can't we do it in the world? As I said, it's, there's already children from young can cultivate obedience to their parents. Wives can, can cultivate obedience to their husbands. Husbands can cultivate obedience to the priest, to the church, to their bosses, 
or whatever, and why and women if they work as well, the, the same thing. We have all these opportunities to be obedient, and obedience gives humility. Humility brings down grace. Without humility, we cannot be saved. Adam and Eve fell in, um, in paradise when they fell. Why? Because they were disobedient, linked with pride. I'm going to become like God. Now, to gain paradise again, what must we do? To be obedient. Obedient to God's commandments and obedient to our fellow, uh, to those around us. We can be obedient. A husband can also be obedient. Say, for example, what's a, how can a husband be obedient when we say, the man is the head and therefore he's the boss? No, it doesn't work like that. Yes, he is the head of the family. Yes, he's responsible for the family. But he can be obedient. Obedient is what? The child's crying and the wife's uh, tired. And the wife says, can you please get up? Get up. Obedience. Get up. Not pretend that they're sleeping with one eye, hoping that the wife's going to get up. There's so many things that can be done to, to cultivate obedience in our everyday life. We don't. We don't cultivate obedience. And this is why we do not have the grace of God. And I don't mean zombie obedience. I mean true obedience. Obedience, because it's God's commandments, free obedience. Not a, a man who forces his wife to be obedient. You don't force your wife to be obedient. Your wife freely gives you obedience. And why does she give you obedience? Because you show love and concern for her. I've still, we spoke about that in the other talks. So he was really good on the obedience, and also when the monks would be working, he would, would, would work with the monks, but he always would try to stay a little bit apart, just a few, even a few metres apart, so he can try and pray. So if they were cutting olives, for example, or doing other jobs in the garden, he would always try and stay a little bit apart so that he won't be uh, tempted to speak too much, and so that he can be with God, and that is... Um, a good example for us in that we need sometimes time alone with God. We need that. And we're not going to have this peace and quiet with iPods, with these, what do they call those other Blackberries, whatever they call, and all these things and internet phones whereby the person never has, you know, now the sickness has gone so much that people actually wake up in the middle of the night and check their phones to see they've got emails. Like it's become a sickness that's actually become out of, out of control. And this is bad for us because we do need time out. We need to be with God on our own, but not to become too deceived whereby we're cutting off from society altogether and stay in our rooms at home and not have um, connection with our family and we don't have uh, things with anyone else in this world, including spiritual fathers and the church. Some people go so deceived that they believe that they're ascetics. The others have become deluded. But Elder Paisios didn't become deluded. Why? Because he was under the guidance of elders. Now, some of you might ask, but how do we know the elders aren't 
deluded. God sees our desire for obedience. And even if by chance a spiritual father gives you the wrong advice, but you are trying to listen because you believe that uh, God's will is expressed through others and through the priest, but it can also be expressed through your wife, through your husband, through your children. Sometimes, as we said before in other talks, sometimes the wife, you might be thinking, the man might be thinking about a decision. I think I'm going to go into that business or whatever. And that husband prays about it. Well, he should anyway. He should pray. Is this good for me to do? Is this going to be beneficial for me? And then God might answer him through the wife and the wife can come up to him and say, I just don't have a good feeling about this. And that could be God's way of expressing his will through your wife. Don't reject the wife. Don't reject the husband. Don't reject even the next door neighbour. Sometimes God is trying to speak through people to us, but we ignore and that's no good. Why? Because a lot of times we say, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I will do what I want to do. So, if a person has a desire for obedience, even if the spiritual father makes a mistake, God can still bless it so it can come out right because we try to listen. Now this, there are people that are so deceived that they say, I'm not going to go to a spiritual father. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust anyone. And as a result of that, they become deluded. But God, he, all he wants to see is your disposition. He wants to see that you have a desire for obedience. And if you have a desire for obedience and someone says the wrong thing to you, God will fix up because you try to be obedient and God loves obedience. So uh, spiritual fathers can make mistakes. That's okay. But God, as I said, he will rectify the problem because of your obedience and humility. Because to be obedient, you have to have humility. And to have humility means God gives you grace. So he, um, he understood, now his name is Father Verkius, the future of the Paisios, he understood that silence was a way to progress in the art of prayer. We need that time out. Five minutes, ten minutes if for lay people, even that's good. Just go in your room, go in front of the icons and just be with God. Church, especially, comes first and then private prayer. Don't cut yourself off from the church by thinking that you can pray at home without being part of the church. This is important. Because he was very diligent, he was really obedient, he did all his jobs. When he would finish his jobs, there were some monks out of weakness, they might have been weak, sick, some of them weren't competent maybe, or some of them might have even been, um, um, just had problems, and they were still doing their obediences. He didn't, he felt guilty, he goes, I don't want to go to my cell now and, and, and rest and have my free time when I know that my fellow brother monk is still working. So he would go and help them. Now that is really important. One of the things I've noticed about married couples especially is that it's dog eat dog. That's an expression. Dog eat dog means that um, the wife tries to get out as much work as she can and throw it onto the husband, and the husband tries to get it out as much work as he can and throws it back on her. That's what I call doggy dog. I can't. Those relationships are really, really the worst. What's a beautiful relationship?
the dishes. We just they, they just finished dinner, for example. Little simple things. They just finished dinner, and the wife could be really tired from the from her day with the children at home taking care, and then. The husband says, no, leave, the, leave him, I'll do it. Just leave it. No, you go and rest. He goes, and then she says, no, but you've been working all day. You go and rest. You need, the, you need to rest as well. And then there's a little bit of a, like an argument. What a blessed argument. Isn't that a nice argument? No, I'll do it. No, no, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. See, like in the army with Elder Paisos when he was in the army. I'll go out in the front line. No, no, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. See, it's type things like that, but we don't practice any of these things. And that's why it's, as I call these relationships, these marriages, dog eat dog. It's like every man for themselves. You were up all last night. I'll um, take care of the children. Or you have a rest. Or whatever. Anything. Always looking out for the best interests of the others. That is important. And that's what he practiced. And through this is why he became holy. He loved everyone without distinction and humbly obeyed all of them. Even to the least important person, he would try to be obedient to everyone. Father Verki, do this. Let it be blessed. Do this, do this, do this, do this, whatever. He tried to be obedient. In particular, he read the lives of saints. He loved the Yerondikor, which is the saints of the fathers. And he especially uh, read the homilies of Saint Isaac the Syrian which is for monastics, a very deep book, but a book that helps a person a lot, but not really for us. Actually, I think it was last month I said in the talk that we, shouldn't, we should try and avoid these deep books in Isaac the Syrian. Someone heard the talk and they said to me, did you know that some of the elders that lived a few decades ago, that they actually used to recommend to their spiritual children to read St. Isaac the Syrian? And uh, and, he, and this person, he didn't go against me. He knew what I was saying. He goes, you should try and explain to the people why these elders would recommend to lay people to read these books. And I said to him, well, let's look at it. When did these elders live? When did they die? A lot of them died. Some of them died in the 50s or 60s. 50s or 60s. And their spiritual children, a lot of them were from areas that were very pious these people were humble, very spiritual people. And if they read these books, they were at the same time being guided by elders, by spiritual fathers who took care of their souls to make sure they don't become deceived. Now, people sit on the couch and read Saint Isaac the Syrian and all these deep books and try to uh, live that life and they become deceived without even any guidance. So I'm not against, that's what the other father told me to do, to correct it. I'm not against St. Isaac the Syrian. I'm against people who try to read it who have not an ounce of humility, not an ounce of obedience, not an ounce of love for their neighbour, and not uh, an ounce of, um, did I say humility? Well, that's it. That's the main thing. Now I'm showing you the characteristic. Father Averkius. The, the, the future or the patients did not trust his own judgment or will. This is the, the greatest thing that I could say today, that he did not trust his own judgment. Why is that? To, why am I so enlivened by that? Because we do. 
we trust our judgment. We trust what's called in Greek our loismus, our thoughts. Whatever we think, it's like it's true. It's like dogma. I thought of it, therefore it must be true. This was a spirit that infiltrated into the Protestant, not that it doesn't exist in the Orthodox, from people who hadn't taken the proper spiritual, but especially in the Protestant, everyone became their own authority. Each person made up their own interpretation of the Gospels of Christianity, etc. But in Orthodox spirituality, the Christians are called not to trust in their own judgment. And this is what gives, this is what pulls down grace from God. Now, a lot of you are going to say, I can't understand how we're not going to trust our own judgment. Are we going to become like zombies or robots? And that is true. That's what it sounds like. Intellectually, it sounds completely mad that we don't trust our own judgment. Don't we make certain judgments? Yes, we do. But the difference between us and these orthodox great fathers and elders is that they used to submit their minds to those, to God, and to those who God had given the grace of the Holy Spirit. In other words, these people were holy and many times would express God's will and would understand the situation how it is. So when people go to Elder Paisios, later on when he became famous, they would either come letting go of their mind and saying, Elder, I have this problem. What should I do? God sees that. He enlightens the Elder to enlighten you. Elder Paisio says people that came to him with humility, he especially could pray for, he especially became enlightened. Those who came with their own judgments and their own pride and thinking that they're going to check what he's saying and I'll reject that, I'll take that, I'll do this, I'll do that. Those people, the elders used to say he couldn't really pray for them. He found it very hard to pray for them and he found it hard to even give them advice because God didn't give him anything. God would not enlighten the elder to speak to those people because of their pride. If you leave today with anything, just leave with one thing. Don't trust yourself. And that message is for me and for all of us. We must not trust ourselves. We try not to. But it just happens automatically. It's just part of our nature to want to trust ourselves. Now, we don't have a lot of these elders. They're in other countries. Well, I don't think there's any here. So what do we do? We have their writings. That's why, that's why we've got here. I made sure that I purchased quite a few. These are excellent books. This one is All the Councils of Elder Paisios. I have never really read this, to be truthful. I only started reading it this month. I didn't even know it existed. After reading this book... I've already changed so much in my own attitudes to things I just couldn't believe. And this book is also excellent too. has a lot of the meetings with um, people and what he said and so that. These two books are really good books and they exist. I'm not telling you that because you can, if you don't want to buy it from me because you think I'm going to 
we're going to make money, go buy them somewhere else. That doesn't bother me, but just buy them. They are excellent books, and these are the elders speaking to us. It talks about education. It talks about the intellect. It speaks about repentance. It speaks about confession. It speaks about husbands and wives and children and pregnancies and everything, family, everything. And this is what you should be also reading to get the, the spirit of the elders. By reading these books, at the end, you will change if you have some humility. We all change by reading these books. So while we're reading them, we submit ourselves and say, I'm going to submit myself to the wisdom of these elders who were enlightened by God, not submit to our brains. Um, so he always asked his spiritual father for advice on all matters, which I've said. He prayed to God to always enlighten him so he would guide him according to his will. He liked visiting other elders as well from all different parts of Mount Athos, spiritual fathers, etc., who were full of the spirit of God. He loved to go and meet these elders and to receive from them their blessing, to receive their prayers, to receive their guidance. And Mount Athos, there are some that are known, but there are many, many elders in Mount Athos who are unknown and die unknown. Many of them just go into the forest and die. They don't want to be known. They don't even have a burial. They just go and die. They say, I'm a dog, I'm, that's it, I'm nothing, and they believed it, and they just go and they just die in somewhere far away. You know, there are a few that, that did that. Unknown. We don't know who they are, but God knows who they are. But there are others who God has given us because we need them. We need their help. And even if we, don't, if we haven't met the elder, I've met him, Oh, thanks God. I mean, I'll give more word because I met him and therefore I learned some things from him. And if I don't apply them, I'll go further into hell than those who were never given the opportunity. However, others here who, as I said, you weren't given the opportunity fair enough, but I, mean, I learned a lot, but not as much as I learned from these. So you've got the fathers there. There's so many books on elders that are there to help us in our everyday life. His pure and childlike soul embraced without doubt or hesitation whatever he heard from his elders. Like children, they believe whatever their parents say when they're young, as they grow up. Um, hopefully that continues, but when they see their parents lying, etc., well, those children aren't going to believe their parents. And hurting children and lying to them from young is not very good because you make them distrust everyone, but that's another story. But Elder Paisios, he's... He was like a child. See what Christ said? If you don't become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He was like a child. It doesn't mean he was a baby. It means that he had a soul that was humble, pure, and he was like a child in the sense of his, um, his faith in God and his trust for his elders He wholeheartedly believed in them. He never examined their words by passing them through his own logic. What we do is when we hear things, even some of you are doing it now, is we listen to the words and we try and, mm, that sounds okay, this and that, which is, which is okay to a certain level. You know, I don't expect you to come here and believe whatever I say. I'm not an elder, so I wouldn't expect that. What am I? I'm like a policeman. Go, here, stop. 
turn, stop there, etc. All those lollipop people, you know, stop, go, slow. That's what I am. That's what I try to do. So what am I doing? I'm saying, I'm pointing, and I'm saying, here, read these books. Stop, don't go there, go, come here, go around here, slow down, etc. That's all I'm doing. St. John Climacus says it really well, and I love it, and I apply it to myself. So John Climacus says, there are those who haven't been purified. There are those who are full of passions. There are those who don't have that holiness of the Holy Fathers. But yet, they are like someone who's in the mud. The mud meaning passions and whatever. They're in the mud, and they're calling out from the mud, and they're saying, be careful, be careful, don't fall into this pit. And I think a lot of us, even the priests, we are full of passions. We have got so many problems of our own. We're not, we don't have this holiness today. We've got the priesthood. It's a separate issue. But as individuals, we don't have that enlightenment of these holy elders. But all we can do is we can say, be careful, watch out. That's the difference between an elder. An elder is someone who takes someone by the hand to God. That's an elder. An elder says, you come with me, I'll take you to God. That's one. But the spiritual fathers, the others, like myself and others that live in the, that, that are around, who don't have that charisma, that, that special grace of eldership, what do they do? They guide people and say, look, there's the path, that's the way you go, but sorry, I can't really take you along because I barely am on the path myself. And we need the elders and others to help us. That's the difference between an elder and a spiritual father. When you go and confess to a spiritual father, he can help you, but he can't take you along. These elders, they were so full of grace that they would take on your sin. They were so full of grace that they would take on your pain. They would suffer with you. If you come to me and say to me, I've got this problem and this pain, you know, I can feel something, but I can't feel much. Why? Because I'm not spiritually progressed. I can pray, commemorate, and God, and let God do. That's important. The liturgy is the, the, the superior, is the greatest thing. Liturgies are important. The priest does that. But the elders would take on the pain, the grief, of the person and make it their own. And that's why at the end this elder got sick because the, the amount of things that he took on himself, he co-suffered with the people, is great. This is a special, as we say in Greek, charisma. It is a special gift of the Holy Spirit. It's called prophecy. It's prophecy that doing just someone who tells the future, even though they can. A prophet is one who warns people, helps people, consoles people, guides people, etc. In the church, first um, there are apostles, then teachers, then prophets, then healers, etc., etc. Of course, we can't say that the elders is the be and the end all because the elders are there, but above the elders are the hierarch is the hierarchy, the priesthood which they receive their sanctity from. Don't separate. We cannot just have an elder without being part of the church. It just doesn't make sense. So he, he wholeheartedly believed in them, never examined their words. 
He gave up his own way of thinking or logical investigation. He very well knew that one must not try to use common sense to understand spiritual matters. It is like trying to grasp air with human hands. You can't grasp air. It's the same way you can't grasp spiritual concepts without humility. And those of us who do that fall into schisms, heresy, etc., deception. Uh, Elder Paisio says, uh, lay people, when they become deluded, become um, psychotic, they, become, they have psychiatric problems. Monks who, become, who um, go off, who trust their thoughts, become deluded. They begin to see things that don't exist, etc. Sometimes they can even be, they, you know, like a, they think they see angels that tell them, go and fly off a mountain or something, and it's not even an angel, it's a demon, and they go and they kill themselves. But the lay people, he says, that they actually go mad when they believe their thoughts, and they trust themselves to that extent, while the monks and nuns, they become deluded. So humility is very important in spiritual life. If, you, if we don't want to humble ourselves, then back off. Don't enter into the sea of spiritual, of theology, of the spiritual life. It's like a deep sea. It's so deep. It's dangerous. If you don't have humility, all of us, don't go there. Because better to stay back a bit than to go into it and become possessed and lose your soul. In 1956, he received the small schema with the new name Paisios. He became now the next grade of up of the monastic, and his heart was full of gratitude, and he always thought about all, these, all the good deeds God was doing for him and the rest of the world. So this is how we should do it. And as I said, if we can't do it in full like he did, at least have try and cultivate it. Always think that God is good. God does everything for us. He does everything for all of us. And try to cultivate that. Don't believe you've got it. But try to cultivate and ask God, grant me gratitude. Grant me to see the good that you do in this world. You just can't get it like that. It doesn't work. Once I met a group of people. They were from another state. I met a group of people. And these people were, I don't know, it's like they weren't, they, they weren't old enough to be part of the hippie days, but it's like they must have been living in a time warp. It's like they were the modern-day hippies. And it was, oh, love and love and, you know, and, oh, I love that person and love. It's all the time, love, love, love. And I came along and I said to them, the big bad priest, and I said to them, this love that you've got is basically delusion because you're just going on and love and love and love and love. And um, I said to them that we have to confess our lack of love or absence of love and ask God to grant us love and we prove our want of love by struggling, trying to struggle in loving our husbands, our wives, our children, those around us, those who do bad to us. We have to try and love them. If, if someone does bad to me, I find it difficult to love them. So therefore, I have to struggle to try and obtain that. And I have to ask God's help to get that. That is reality. As for those that say, oh, and everyone who hates me, I love them. And love and love and love and love. So 
One of them got very upset because I said that, and he started to go around and say, he's against love. He's preaching against love. So he got other people on side which went against me because of the things that I said. It wasn't just that. There are other issues. Makeup, other issues, and people don't say, I don't like that priest because he said to me not to wear makeup. I don't like that priest because he told me not to have a boyfriend. They don't say that because they know that it's against God's law. They know those things. So they don't say that. They have to find something which sounds better. He's against love. So they went around this particular city and went to as many houses as they could. And they said, do you have any tapes? In those days, they were tapes. Now the CDs were progressed. But in those days, they were tapes, tapes that I did from years ago. People had taped some talks that I did many years ago, back in 1988, 89, 90, 91, I did some talks and people had taped them and, give, and gave them out to people. And they went around and, and collected as many as they could, like the Inquisitions. And they actually took them and destroyed every tape that they could because they said I was against love. And I wanted to say to these people that, but it's hard when people have become like that, it's very hard to talk to them. But to say to them, I'm not against love. I am for love, but reality that we have to struggle. Love is one of the greatest virtues of of, of a Christian. Love. Where did these people get the love? Some of them were smoking marijuana just before they changed about a year ago. One was a heavy metalist. Where did they get this love that they were going around, love, love, love? You know where they got it? From their fantasy, from the TVs and the films they used to watch and probably from the drugs that they used to take, which took them into other lands. There's Lululand and there's other lands. They were, they were in other lands, those ones. And they actually had in, in their mind, and they used to actually speak like drug people. So go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They would say. And they would say, yeah, love. And, um, you know, I love you. And things like that. I was trying to work out, did they have some type of drug or were they smoking something? I don't know what they were taking to see what was going on. And then I discovered that these people stopped their drugs and they stopped all these things, which was good. But they didn't stop to humble themselves and cleanse themselves and enter into the spiritual life with humility. And they began to preach, and others were preaching, others were doing this, others were doing that, and that was very bad, what they did. If they had a complaint, if they believed that, that they should go to the bishop. Any complaints, you always go to the bishop, always do order. There's order in the church. You go to the bishop and you make your complaint. You don't take things into your own hand and go around like... um, uh, those um, inquisitions of the old days and go around and start burning. Lucky I didn't get burned at the stake. I got close to it, I think. And this is the thing. This is what's called deception. That's why when our friend there, Lubimi, was saying of that study that they did, it's because the television is in the mind and people start to live spiritual life in their mind just like they used to live everything else in their mind. It's in their mind, not practical. So I'm not against love. I'm against the, the 
to be Pharisees that we think that we've got the highest virtue, that we have the highest virtue. So, um, he believed that the grace of God was the only cause of every good. For every evil, he blamed himself. Now, this is the part which is the first time I ever encountered this, and I learnt this from when I read his works. He said, all good comes from God. All evil comes from himself. He blamed himself for things that happened in the world. When he saw someone fall into sin, for example, and they refused to repent, or they didn't have faith in God, he said to himself, this is my fault that one of my brothers has found himself in this difficult situation. If I were acting according to Christ's will, then he would listen to my prayers and my brother wouldn't be in this unpleasant state. My wretchedness is causing my brother's misery. It's hard to understand what, he's, what he means by the fact that he's holy. But, you know, we think that someone is holy continually or that someone is holy automatically. You know, holiness develops with time. And he firmly believed, and this is very good for us, when I hear people say, oh, my wife's gone off, my husband's gone off, and they're really critical about their husbands, wives or children or other people around them, their brother, their sister, their relatives or their parents. But Elder Paisio said, which is something which is excellent, which I've never really got it really well before, and that is that... Actually, I'll read it for you. He says... We must pray for other people with contrition and pain in our soul. We can only achieve this if due to our humbleness we consider ourselves the cause of the problems of the world. In other words, to have humility. But Father, how can you accept that you are the cause of a couple that divorced in Athens, for example? Well, I say to myself, if I were a saint like the old fathers, I would ask God to make them love each other. And he would help them, as he had promised to listen to the saints. Since I'm not a saint, God does not listen to me. Therefore, it is my fault that this family is breaking up, as well as the other evils that exist in the world. This way, I never judge anyone, but I only blame myself for everyone. Then God helps me by condemning himself, by saying that he is the cause. Then God would listen to his prayers. Do we do that? Do people pray for their wives if their wives have gone off? Do wives pray for their husbands if their husbands have gone off? Do parents pray for their children if the children have gone off? And so they say, oh, it's the husband's fault, or the wife's fault, or the children's fault, or this fault, or that's fault. But we never really blame ourselves and say, well, do I pray? Do I pray? Say, for example, I know someone who's gone off, say, Even those examples of those people that were going around with those burning the cassettes, those people. If I was progressed in my spiritual life, I would pray for them, for them to repent and come to their senses. But did I do that? A little bit, but I couldn't do it properly. Why? Because I lacked that spirit of true love, which comes with humility, with time. The elder, he did feel that. 
And this is, this is good for our humility. I, I would say that a lot of the times when we're praying for our enemies or for those around us who have gone off or whatever, we do not pray with our hearts with pain. And that's why God does not listen to our prayers. And that is a very good lesson of Elder Pesos, that if you're going to pray for others, pray with your heart. And we have to cultivate it. We have to cultivate that spirit in our spiritual life, asking God to give us prayer. We have to pray to Christ that he gives us the spirit of prayer, that he gives us the... uh, Ability to be able to pray for others. It doesn't come by itself. And this is proved through us, through our spiritual struggles. Another thing which is very, very important, which really has helped helped me a lot anyway, is that he said that Elder Arsenios, remember that's that elder, baptized him. Elder Arsenios said that there are not prayers for every occasion. There are certain things that happen where there is no prayer. Like some people say to me, oh, we're fighting a lot. Can you do a prayer? A lot of times, some of those things don't exist. They don't, there's not prayers for everything in, the, in our priest's book. And so therefore, Elder Senius had this practice that he would pick certain psalms and he would then devote certain times. And Elder Paisios followed this. For example, Elder Paisios says that he would read prayers on a daily basis. I love this. This is, he said, in the night time when he used to pray. From 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, he said, I pray for those who are coming back from home late that God protect them. From 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock, for those who travel, so they will be not involved in any accidents, then from midnight to one o'clock, for God to help people stay away from ill, from nightclubs, discos, places like that, where they usually spend their night. In general, he prayed for every situation, for the sick people in hospitals, the married couples involved in quarrels, for God to sympathise with their children, etc. This is the mark of a saint, this is the mark of a monastic, but in particular, the more humble, the more spiritual, the more God listens to the prayers. So, from being influenced from these works, which we all should be influenced, but I thought to myself over the years that 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 is correct, that there are a lot of prayers that we do that don't encompass everything. They are general, but I like to do, which is what they, they do here. And I put together to show to you that this is what all monasteries pray for. This is the job of the monastic, is to pray for the world. And the, and the monastic feels and thinks of everything. So I'll go through some of the things just a short list that was put together of people with all different problems. It says that we ask God for them to help them that hate us, them that love us, for the sick, the afflicted, the suffering, suffering of all types, captives. Elder Paisu said that in 1969, during the Vietnam War, he would pray 
for the soldiers that were in the battle there. He would feel their pain, he said. He would feel them as they were being shelled and the sufferings that they're going through, the fear that they must have had. And he would pray for um, soldiers there. And those who were held cap who are held captive, there are people who have been kidnapped, there are people who have been uh, taken prisoner from war, as we know from that person over in Austria that even held his own daughter, which we don't go into, but there are people all over the place. The church prays for all them, for them that travel by sea, land and air, for the poor, for the hungry, for the widows, for the orphans, for them that are persecuted for the orthodox faith, for the oppressed, for the mentally ill, for them that are vexed by evil spirits, there are people that are under the influence, um, for them that are under the influence of magic, for those who have fallen to deception or heresy, for those who are lost, there are people that are lost in forests, in mountains. The church prays for them, especially monastics. For those who have been kidnapped, for children that have been abused, for the tortured, for them in prison, both for those that have done bad and for those that have been put in prison uh, that weren't guilty. Because there are people that are in jail that weren't even guilty. Or there are those who are put in jail because they did do something wrong. We pray for their repentance. And there are those who were put in jail because they just did a mistake. And then at the end they did really bad. They weren't really evil as such, but they made a mistake and an accident occurred or other things were out of desperation. There's a lot of reasons why people are in jail. They, we, they must be prayed for them. We pray for the blind, the paralysed, the disabled, for them that are dying. That's very important. Like at this moment, you've got to think to yourself, there are people who are dying at this moment, at their last moments. We need to pray for them. For the grieving, for those that are grieving because they've lost their, their close ones. For them that are in war. For victims of disasters, both natural and man-made. For women that are pregnant, for women that are giving birth, for women that are nursing their children, for married couples, those contemplating divorce, those are contemplating suicide. For students that are studying, for infants, for children, for adolescents, for them that are addicted to drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, for those unjustly accused or slandered, for the homeless, for the jobless. And that's just a, a list. As Christians, we should be praying for... Those who are undergoing this economic crisis over in America, for example. People that are here in Australia. We have to put ourselves in their position. You people as family people, think to yourself, if you lost your house, how would you feel? How would you feel if you just can't afford the instalments and you have to lose your house and you're left out in the street after the sheriff comes to, to evict you and to say, there you are with your children. Think about those people. Think about what it feels like for those people. And that's what Elder Paisus teaches us, to put ourselves in their situation. We can't do it like he did because we don't have that holiness, but at least try, and if God sees you're wanting, then slowly, slowly we will begin to feel the pain of others and pray for others and do whatever we can to help others. And that doesn't mean we just pray for Orthodox Christians. We pray for everyone. He used to pray for those in the... He, he actually foresaw the Iraq War, 1991, and he prayed for, for everyone. And this is what the saints do. They pray for all. Do we do that? No. So if we don't, then we can't really say that we have love, can we? 
And remember, these things take place even if a person's not holy, if the priest is praying, even if the priest is, lacks spirituality but is trying, then those prayers are uh, very, very powerful. So that's what he did. He used to blame himself and he constantly would pray for others. In a similar way, he blamed himself for the problems in the world. This harsh accusation of himself pushed him to pray fervently for his soul and the whole world, like St. Seraphim of Sarov and many others. Furthermore, he cultivated the habit of always seeking the good reason for scandals and for good actions. He used to, when he used to see something bad happen, he would say, oh, that's happened because he would try to justify, try to cover up the sins of others. He didn't want people to be exposed while we like to expose everyone. Once there were some visitors and there were some monks that were coming past his cell and they were monks, he knew they were monks, and they never had their asa on and they had guns, they were going hunting. And uh, the lay people there got scandalised and go, what are, they, what are those people doing? And he goes, oh, no, no, they're, they're um, special people here on Mount Athos that guard the forests, he said. So he, and he lied because he didn't want to scandalise the lay people who, who would see the monks because here in Australia it's different, but in Greece and other Orthodox countries, monks, nuns do not walk around without their, their cassocks and priests, etc., we're used to different things here, but that's how it is over there. And people who see that, they get scandalised. And that can make them, if they're weak, that can make them turn off the church. So he was very careful not to create problems. And some egghead that was there said, oh, no, that's Father so-and-so and Father so-and-so. And then Father Priestess got upset because he mucked up what he was trying to do to protect the lay people from being um, scandalised. So this is very important. He always developed good and positive thoughts for every kind of situation. He could skillfully cover the faults and mistakes of other people who would say, as God covers our sins, we should cover up the sins of others. This is very important in, with married couples, especially where they should not pick on each other's faults and say each other's faults, but try to cover up. St. John Chrysostom says, the man should never expose publicly the faults of his wife, even for a joke. The man should not put down his wife in public because you make her upset and then she also has resentment and then the marriage is, is no good. Actually, Elder Paisio said another counsel, he said, we should never even, I think it was him, we should never even say as a joke, oh, I'm going to divorce you, you know, even for a joke. Not even for a joke because he said that there was an example of some, a couple that would say that as a joke and at the end they nearly got close to divorcing. Not even as a joke should those words be said. In 1958, Elder Priest was asked to spend some time in, um, back in his home village where he came from. Remember, now he's been in Mount Athos for eight years. What was happening there was that Protestant groups had gone into that area and were starting to try and convert the Orthodox away from the Orthodox faith. And he went there to help the Orthodox to keep on their Orthodox faith. He went to Mount Sinai. The Bedouins, who are, I don't even know what religion, are they Muslim? I'm not sure, but they are not. Christian. The Bedouins, they were the ones who used to take care of um, their, their sheep and all that in the mountains. They lived there. Sometimes they were friendly and sometimes they were not very, they, they could actually do bad to the monastery. They're also in Jerusalem as well, near St. Sava's monastery. And uh, what did Elder Paisus do there? He would spend a lot of hours carving out certain wooden articles, sell them, and then he would buy food for them and they, in return, began to respect him and love him because he took care of them. See, they weren't Orthodox, they weren't Christian. He spent his time doing that. He did a good deed. 
He did a good deed, and the good deed resulted in them. Not that he did it to convert them to Christianity, but he did it to make them at least to calm them down. Have I told you about the manure? The, the manure is an excellent example of a neighbour. There was a neighbour who were orthodox, actually, and the, the, across the road, neighbour, for some reason, didn't like them. Maybe because they go to church. I don't know what it was. They just didn't like them. So one day, this truck came with full of manure, and the guy was knocking on this neighbour's door, and he wasn't there, and he was going to drive off. The other neighbour said, oh, I've got an idea. He goes to the truck driver and goes, what, what's happening? He goes, oh, this person here ordered 20 bags of manure. So we can see that even, even manure can be a cause of good. So the guy goes, oh, how much is it? Whatever, $100. He goes, okay, here's the money, leave the manure there. So when the neighbour came, he saw this manure there, but didn't know what was going on. And then the other neighbour didn't say anything on purpose. And then after many, many days, somehow the neighbour found out that it was him that bought the manure for him. He gave the money, that was okay. But the fact that he did that for his neighbour made that neighbour change completely and became all right with him. See, just from poop, one can say. Sorry to be that, just from that. So even that can help... Can help um, uh, reconcile can help us and that's what he did little things making little wooden things and he did that we should do that too when someone hates us try to do little things to make that fire that's in them to extinguish because as one of the press says in the morning press or night press don't let me be a cause of my brother going to hell because my brother hates me or my sister hates me and someone would say well that's their fault if they hate us. No, because God is looking to see what are we doing to try and help that person to get rid of that passion. That's our responsibility. So if they go to hell because they've got hate, we could be the cause of that because we did nothing to try and stop them. So these Bedouins, they actually a lot of times didn't like, they were hostile to Christianity. And that's what Elder Paisius did. The same with the name of the manure. And later on, they talk now, etc., etc. That's okay. That's good. In 1966, he fell ill and was hospitalised for a few months in Thessalonica. Or Thessaloniki, I'd say, Greek way. He was operated on and a large section of his lungs was removed. So this is now, we're going to see the sufferings that he's going through. The elder was in great need of blood for the surgery, but he had never had any relatives there. There was a group of novice nuns, young, young nuns, who were from a sisterhood called St. John the Theologian. And they were just outside Thessalonica. And they found out and they ran to give blood to the elder. What did they get in return? Later on, Elder Paisius was very grateful to those, to those novices for what they did. And from then on, he became their guide and he helped them materially and spiritually. He helped them to find a land he helped them to, in their um, establishment of the monastery, both spiritually and physically, everything. He became a great help for them because he was so indebted to them for the, for the fact that they gave blood. They're the ones that produced this particular book. Holy Monastery, Evangelist, John, Theologians, a lot of educated nuns there. 
Surti, and they are the ones who are the main people who are producing his works. And they actually did this in English as well. So uh, everything's by providence. Obviously, the elder did not want to leave Mount Athos because he was sick, but he was forced to leave. And But that came out for the good because he would also go back to that monastery often, the convent. Every couple of times a year, he would go out to help the nuns. And when he was there, it gave opportunity for women who couldn't go to Mount Athos because women don't, aren't allowed on Mount Athos. Only men can go. But on... Is that sexist? I'm not interested. So, um, <laughs> the... The, um, so, the, so it gave opportunity for the women to be able to go there and get his blessing and his help. I'm not interested. That's sexist and it's just to me, it's just alien to orthodox spirituality. There's just too much. Okay? We, uh, the orthodox church isn't sexist. We don't have the trouble. Actually, I'm so pro-women that I'm actually for women becoming priests in the Catholic church and process. I've got no problems with that. As long as they don't become in the Orthodox Church. They can do whatever they want. And I've got no problems because we don't recognise we don't recognise them. If they want, you know, I've got no problems with, with that. But not in the Orthodox Church. Why? Because women are inferior. No. Women are inferior. Isn't that strange that people say that we are sexist, but yet we have the mother of God after God. In other words, Above the angels, above the cherubim, above the seraphim, above everyone is the mother of God. And we bow down to a woman, everyone, the hierarchs. But God has ordained that men become, that men are the ones that he chose. But why, some women say, why are only men allowed to become? Those same women, you know what they say? Why did God become a man? So we have to now start working with that. See, it never—it just doesn't stop. Doesn't interest me. Let's let's go off that. Yes, Terry. Well, uh, aren't our and mothers, mothers of Saint Saint John Chrysostom's mother, a saint, Saint Gregory the Theologian's mother, a saint. So many um, people. It doesn't mean, it's just like, and these creatures, they actually get so upset with the whole thing and they go, but why is it fair that, um, um, well, for example, if, if we go that way, men can say it's not fair because men can't have children. But they're trying to rectify that as well. So it just goes on and on and on and on. People who can't calm down and just leave be. They have to have their logic. Their logic says that by men only becoming hierarchs or it means that women are inferior. So, but you know, I feel sick. So let's just leave that. So, Elder Paisios was most grateful, and after his recovery, yeah, he did whatever he could. So he had a very strong relationship with them. In 1968, Elder Paisios received the Great Schema. That's the last level. And in 1979, he moved to his final home on the Holy Mountain which is called the, the Hermitage of Panaguda, which is dedicated to the nativity of the Holy Theotokos. That's the place that I went when I met him, was at that place. That's where he was from 1979 till 1993, 94. 93, I think he died in 94, over in Thessalonica, which is close to the capital of Mount Athos. 
I've been to Manathos many times, and I remember when the bus used to come, the boat used to arrive at the port, and then there'd be all these people, and then the bus would have to then pick up the people from the port, go up, up the mountain to the capital of Manathos, which is called Karies. From there, people have to go and get their permits. As soon as they get their permits, they start the run. They all, a lot of them start running down to the cell of Elder Paisios, and his cell is around... 10, 15 minutes. Most people make it in two or three because there's so much they want to get there, they want to speak to him, and they're running. I remember once I was at the monastery of Iviron, which is on the other side, which is on the other side of Mount Athos, near the water there, and I saw, um, no, so I was, I was somewhere in Icarias, that's right, and this, this fellow, a bit of a large fellow, and he was sweating, he was red as a tomato. And, I, and he said to me, where's the cell of elder patients? I can see this urgency, this urgency, this problem, this problems. God uses our problems because when we come to the stage where our brain has no solution, there are, there are situations in life where our minds can no longer work out the solution. That's good. And this is where God comes in and says, you can't work it out then you go to my servants and you receive the solution. This is humble. You know, a person that's got cancer or a person that's got a marital problem or a person that's got other problems, they come to the stage where that's it. Humanly, there is no solution. And God likes that because that means that you are finally got to the stage where a lot of us never get to the stage a lot of times because we're so proud, we get to the stage where we say, God, I don't know what to do. What's that? That equals what? Mathematics. Equals humility. That's why God allows all these catastrophes and problems to occur, to give us this humility. And when we have that humility, then God can start to work on us and help us. And that's why people used to go to him. They had got to the stage, a lot of them, some used to go out of curiosity, one guy went there and he walked in and he goes, where's Paisios? Like really rude, not Father Paisios, where's Paisios? He didn't know that, that the elder was there and he goes, um, um, what do you want him for? He goes, I want to speak to him. And then he noticed, the elder Paisios noticed that he had a, like a square here, like a, like a block. And he goes, what's that? The gospel? He knew it was on purpose. Done, but he goes, no, it's not the gospel, it's cigarettes. Do you want one? Because he worked out after that, that that was him. Rudeness. He goes, I want you to tell me my name. And then I'll believe in all these things that people say because that was one of the things that he knew. There was something. So there was a few people there that were sitting around, I think monks, I'm not sure, fathers. And um, he said, Elder Paisius goes, uh, red, the red light of the traffic light. They have, I don't know, I didn't know this. In Greece, they have nicknames. The red light is called, I think it comes from stamata, which is stop, which is stamati. And then the green light, Grigora, go, is, is Grigorios. I, don't, I didn't, didn't know that. Anyway, and he says to him, uh, red is Stamatis and green is Grigorios. And he said, and that's your name, something like that. And then the guy was shocked because he actually was able to, he knew his name, and he asked to, oh, sorry, he was also like a revolutionary. He was like a, an anarchist, someone who wanted to overthrow government. He was like a wild person. And he spoke to the elder privately, and then he left, 
and then later on he changed his life com completely. That is one of the characteristics of the elders, that they actually have this effect on people, that they change their lives. Not just from miracles, that was an example, but others is just from advice. Others is just from prayers. He doesn't do anything. If, he want, if God allows, he might do something that might be astounding to create a bit of a, an interest. But in general, a lot of people change just from his prayers, just from his example, just from his presence, just from his few words. Never despair when we get to the stage. Look at those people that have lost their houses now because of this, this, this crisis here in Australia, in America, a lot of people in Europe, I think it's, it's going to start people losing their houses. They're to the stage, they can't do anything. They can't do anything. And we shouldn't run to suicide and run to all these silly things. You know, just these things are sometimes good that God, uh, that we can look at as God being the only person who can help us. Now, whether that means for us to keep the house or whatever, but, the, but, but at least... A lot of people through these disasters come closer to him. War is another way of coming closer to him when you've basically got no food to eat or the enemy's coming, the enemy's coming, and they could do, they could kill you, they could do damage to you, your children and things like that, and there's nothing, there's no hope, there's nothing at all. And then you turn to God. All this is, is the best type of uh, situation to be in because it means that we're letting go of ourselves, we're letting go of our logic, we're letting go of our own strength that we think we've got and we trust only in God. Um, all day long, from dawn to sunset, he gave advice to people, which I witnessed that. Um, he would console people, give solutions to their problems, he took away their sorrows, fill their souls with faith, hope and love for God. The day was dedicated to the people and night to God. He would rest two to three hours. That's him. He was ascetical. He was advanced. Don't try and do that because you'll have accidents and you'll get nervous and have problems and irritations and fall asleep at work and cause a lot of problems. For us, we go the normal way, the humble way. What's the humble way? What do we have to do? Seven, eight hours, whatever it is, that's it. Just stick to that. Don't try and do something that's advanced, like too much fasting or too much staying up at night, etc., because it could cause problems. We need humility to be able to do extreme ascetical practices. Without humility and love, then we're going to become demonic and proud. The elder, oh, sorry, and during the night he, he prayed for people, but he also read letters that people would send to him. The elder was very distressed by the content of the letters and by what the visitors used to tell him. Always, he said, mostly, well, whenever people spoke about Broken marriages, I've said this before, mental illnesses and deaths caused by cancer. Elder Paisius, by the way, asked to get cancer. And he would say, I don't have marital problems because I'm not married. He goes, I don't have many... Um, I don't have many mental illnesses, he would say laughingly. So in other words, he says, I haven't got many... He goes, well, why, why can't I share in the sufferings of my fellow man by getting cancer? He said as well, if God would give the cure for cancer, he would have to give another sickness to replace it. What does that mean? See, with our minds, we can't think. With our logic, 
No, but shouldn't it be that we get cure for cancer? That's what our mind tells us. That's two plus two equals four. But in spiritual life, we said that two and two doesn't always equal four. That God, uh, another elder, Elder Euronymous of Egina, said, cancer has come out of paradise. In other words, cancer is being given by God for our good. See, that's, but the world doesn't think like that. And he actually asked for cancer. Whether he got it, we'll see. But he, um, Elder Paisus was a spiritual magnet attracting the souls of those in grief. The mental fatigue and pain of his visitors, because he always took on the problems, as I said before, on himself, his extreme sensitive soul, his physical exhaustion arising from the many daily visits, because he would serve them. He would come up to them and give them usually water and a lukumi, which is a Greek type of sweet, and he would do that to everyone that would come. Sometimes people, there'd be hundreds of people to and fro all day. And um, he would serve all of them and then listen to their problems. And um, he, um, that, made him, that, that took a lot out of him because it was very, very strenuous for him because he was very sick towards the end. But he still sacrificed himself for his other people. That's the love. Not like people that say, oh, I've got a sore stomach, I can't do this, and I've got this, and I can't do that. I'm tired, and I can't do this, and I can't help here. You know, we always got excuses, but this is a, the example of sacrifice. He continued to lead a very strict ascetical life. He prayed a lot, even though he was sick, and he really kept on fasting to the point that he became anemic and, and other things. Apart from his respiratory problems, he had also a hernia, which lasted for five years. The hernia was really bad. He said he couldn't even sit down. It was that bad. When he was forced to leave Holy Mountain for various reasons, mainly because of sickness, he would receive pilgrims, as I said, at the Holy Monastery of Sorati, the nuns. He often sweated and turned pale because of the extreme pain he was suffering. He often said that God is greatly touched when someone who is in great suffering, does not complain. Here's another example for us. We complain for everything. I've got a headache. I've got this. I've got that. All the time we complain. All of us complain. But the thing is, we have to learn not to complain. Not to complain about our wives. Not to complain about our husbands. Not to complain about our children or about our sicknesses or about the situation, or even about the world at times. There's too much complaining. But sometimes we have to be patient with what we have. And this patience, Elder Paisio says, gives the person a lot of grace. That's another example for us to look at. From 1988, Father Paisius was facing rectal problems. That's the, at the end of the intestine. In 1993, he became very weak because of his strict fasting. In addition to his other illnesses, he suffered from hemorrhaging. He bled a lot. Fainting. A tendency to vomit. In addition, the pain in the intestine made it difficult for him to sit down. So he had intestinal problems, which we'll see later on what that was, and he couldn't even sit down. He still continued to um, see people. In the night, he couldn't even rest because he was bleeding continually and he had a lot of pain. He couldn't even rest like he used to before. Uh, he ignored his own health, as I said before, and he still continued to see visitors and relieve them of their grief. See, that's the beauty of it. 
that even though we're suffering, all of us, we, we all got our own little problems, we should always be looking out to serve others. While what we do is we want people to serve us. We want people to serve us. I'm tired, people should serve me. Or I'm sick, people should serve me. And that's why married life is a sacrifice. When the person, when the woman's sick or the husband's sick, they've got the children, they have to force themselves to take care of their children. That's like Elder Paisios. However, when you force yourself with bitterness and hate towards your children because you've got a sacrifice for them, that's no good, that's demonic. But if you force yourself, even though you've got all your own problems and your own sicknesses, to serve your children and each other, spouses, then this is like what Elder Paisios did. We've got it right there. A lot of times we have it in front of us. We have the opportunity that God's given us to develop in a spiritual life, to acquire humility. Even if it means that we've got a horrible husband or a horrible wife and people, because they watch TV, say the solution to that is we marry someone else that we can find someone who's going to love us and someone's going to cherish us and do whatever, whatever, whatever. Which doesn't usually work. But what does God want is for us to endure. This is the asceticism. Not to go and drink water like some people that are deceived. I'm going to drink water today, all day for God. I'm going to drink water all day for God. And they get into an accident because they've gone into some type of dehydration and killed their children in an accident or something like stupidities. Or they say, I'm going to only eat bread all day. And they look at the ascetics. Don't worry about the ascetics. The ascetics are the ascetics. They led their lives in the desert. They were different to us. We live in the world. We have the opportunity to practice the ascetical life with those around us. So, for example, if someone's got a horrible husband, you don't just get up and leave. You stay there, you endure. And God watches you. And even if you're suffering, a woman, nothing more than a woman wants is to be loved by a man. That's, that's by nature. A woman thrives for a man to love her and take care of her. That is the nature. And even women who are women's libbers and all these people, they're starting to see it now. And they're saying, I don't want to work. I don't want to. I want my husband to take responsibility. And I want to just take care of the children, etc. They're starting to see that a lot now because they're burnt out completely where they're going to be uh, to have their careers and do this and do that and do that and take care of children. It's just too much and they've lost it in general. So why doesn't the woman say, okay, for God's sake, I'm going to stay in the marriage. And even though I'm not getting what I should get as a woman to be taken care of by my husband and to be cherished and loved and, and etc., and have someone to be affectionate to me, I will endure that because God has given me this opportunity for me to learn, to suffer, to endure to still love my husband, even though that he's bad, let's just say, etc., 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 and to become sanctified. But no, we think divorce is the answer. Um, his spiritual children begged him to go to Thessalonica to have some medical tests so they can diagnose what's this thing, what's this thing in your intestine, what's happening. The elder said, my sickness is a great benefit to my spiritual life. Um, I do not really wish to alter it. And he actually says, someone came to him that was sick, and he says, oh, I've got this sickness, what should I do? He goes, okay, the higher virtue, he said, is to trust in God, and if God cures you, he cures you, if he doesn't, he doesn't. 
That's the highest. If you can't do that, that's okay. Then go to the next level and do the human thing and go and find a doctor. Okay? I would say to all of you that we better stick to the normal way because sometimes when we try to do the higher thing, which is good, but it can lead us into pride that we are really special because we are enduring all this pain and we're not going to go to doctors, etc. It still can be more beneficial than trying to do the better way. It's like at school, you know, people used to say to me, I want to do a high level of maths, for example. And I said to them, you can't do it. Like when they leave year 10, they go to year 11 and they have to choose what level they're going to do. Some of them are in the bottom classes. They did what's called general maths. I don't know what they call them now. And, and general maths is general maths. Basically, they don't have much. They say, I'm going to do two unit maths, which is like a middle level, which is calculus and all that integration. And they, I said to them, you, you can't do it because you don't have the prerequisite. You don't have the knowledge to do it. And in their deception, they believe that they're going to do that level of maths when they can't do it because they haven't got the knowledge. And um, so what happens is that these people might go into two unit, into that level of maths, the higher level, and fail, and end up failing that and not even learning something that they could have learned at a lower level. So they lose everything. The same in spiritual life. We go to do something higher, which is good, but at the end, we shouldn't have done that. We should have stuck down here and learnt that at least, and at least we've got that. So at the end, we don't get that, we don't get that, we get nothing. And that's what happens. So that's the thing. Now, he said, I don't, there's a number of reasons why I don't want to have medical tests. Number one, Christ knows the condition of our health. Since he is the best doctor, we should have trust in him. That's what he said, number one. Number two, I know I have a tumour in my intestine. It is best to leave it as it is. Otherwise, if you play around with it, it will get worse. It's true that medical science has become too smart. And sometimes they uh, do these things on us which make us worse. Some people might have... Um, a heart problem, for example, and then I remember this woman said to me, my husband, they said to me, oh, we'll do a bypass. His husband was around 80. They said, we'll do a bypass. And then basically a couple of months later, he died, probably from the bypass. But if he, she says if he didn't do it, he might have even lived five or six years more or whatever. But sometimes we muck around with things too much and it makes us worse. Sometimes we have to accept. That's why Manathos, the monks avoid doctors too much. They don't want to go to them because it's just too much pills and problems and they rather have their mind and just endure, and when God takes them, they take them. Sometimes it's better to let go and just go when it's time. Hard to discern that fully, but that's just a little bit. In our days, everybody suffers from three things. We've said all that. He says, I, I want to suffer from cancer because I want to join in with the suffering of other people. I don't want to just be um, to live my life without suffering, the importance there. God is deeply moved when someone who has cancer or some other serious problems does not complain about it, but instead prays for his fellow man. Even though he's got cancer, even though he's suffering, he prays for others. Then, then one may dare say to Christ, you see, I'm not asking any help for myself, but please do help the others. And God does help that person who prays like that. In October of 1993 now, this is just before he died, the elder left his beloved mountain, holy mountain, thinking that he would return in a few days. He was forced. I think at the end, he maybe he gave in to the people saying, please, please, but out of obedience, he said, okay, so he might have went. I don't, it doesn't say fully why he went, but he decided to go. He was diagnosed with cancer that needed immediate treatment. He had a tumour the size of a small orange at the end of his large intestine. And some of you that are in the medical world will know what, you know, that's 
pretty bad then. The CT scan confirmed that the cancer had spread to his liver and lungs. So not only did he have cancer in his intestine, but it actually went up into his liver and lungs. An operation was considered necessary in order to prevent the total obstruction of the intestine by the tumour. In this case, I think he gave in because an obstruction of the intestine would not allow him to be able to function uh, in a normal way. So I think he gave in to that particular thing. When he finally woke up, he was asked, how do you feel? He woke up and he was in the intensive care and he said, smiling but trying to smile because he was very weak and, um, and sick, he says, he says, can't you see, I'm like an astronaut. So he had a humour. He had an oxygen mask. He had um, intravenous tubes in his arms. He had wires on his chest for the electrocardiograph. He had a nasal gastric catheter. I think that's, is that to, um, Helen, is that a nasal, is that for food to go down? Yep. So and through his tube, through his um, nose, that tube, which is to, to allow food. And he actually was making a bit of a joke, saying he's like an, he's like an astronaut. And he even said, he goes, look, and he pointed to his chest and goes, they, they even gave me a medal, which were the medals of the of those um, cardiograph things. And he goes, but I don't know what they gave me, am I a colonel or a general? He had a humour where he didn't want to focus on himself. Does that mean he was in denial? No, not in denial. Some people are in denial. He wasn't in denial, but he just, you'll see in a minute what I'm talking about. He asked his friend, who was a doctor, who had been greatly benefited by the older, what they found. He said, what did they find in me, doctor? And the doctor answered, the liver as well as the lung has been affected. Father Paisius answered, I don't mind where the cancer is as long as, as this remains clear. He pointed to his head. In other words, he said as long as his mind is clear so that he can commune, can, can pray to God. That's the most important thing. And a lot of times today, people take a lot of medications which um, affect the mind, makes people really out of it. All he cared about was that the hemorrhaging, he was, he was still bleeding, would stop for a couple of hours so he can go to church and commune. He recalled that he asked God, to, and then, then he's, that's when he said to the person, you know what, I remember now, I actually asked God to give me cancer. The doctor informed him that he only had four months to live. The elder smiled um, and said, do I have to wait for that long? Now, there's an exception to the rule. What I said before is that we usually are saying, I'm scared because I don't know if I'm ready, etc., etc. But there are some exceptions to this. In general, Christians say, give me more time and am I going to be ready, etc. But the elder had received such a confidence in God that he actually was wanting to leave this earth to go and be with Christ. Can it be earlier than this, he said, he suffered from excruciating pain and he would recall the suffering of the martyrs. So he tried to make, he, wherever he went, whatever he did, whatever he saw, he tried to link it to spiritual things. He saw a bird, he would relate it to a spiritual. He saw a tree, he saw this, he saw that. Everything he tried to relate to spiritual. In this case, his own pain, he goes, this is the, the pain of the martyrs that the martyrs would go through. He was later transferred to the monastery of Surati, where he continued to receive people, listening to their sorrow and counting. Even though he was sick, completely sick, fully in pain, dying, he continued to serve his fellow man out of love, taking on their pain, taking on their sorrow, 
etc. They try, he tried to go to Mount Athos, actually, he tried to go back, he couldn't go because he was just too sick. He wanted to go and die there. But God worked that out differently because God wanted him to die there for the reason which we'll see at the end. Um, he developed high fever. He had difficulty in breathing. His liver had swollen because of the cancer. He had to use an oxygen mask for breathing continually. He became anorexic. His abdominal, abdominal pain increased. He had serious tachycardia, which is his heart racing, which is a horrible thing. He could not comfortably lie down in bed. Now, this man suffered incredibly. He never ceased repeating that we must be patient. But we always must be patient. That's what he said continually. And that's what we need to remember. We must be patient when we suffer because this is good for our souls. Towards the end of June 1994, the doctors informed that he had two to three weeks left. On July the 11th, he received Holy Communion for the last time while kneeling in front of his bed. So he was able to get out of bed to, to, to commune. See, this is the important. The communion is really important, especially for our journey into the next life. For the next 24 hours, he was very serene, like the martyrs were. Even though the martyrs were being tortured, they were serene. He was serene, meaning he was peaceful, even though he was in the most excruciating pain. When they do those movies of Christ on the cross, I mean, Mel Gibson, he did what he did, and they say he's religious, and he did the last, what's, what's it called, that show? The, the Passion of Christ. You know, I don't like those shows. Why? Because they can never portray exactly that state that Christ even though that he was suffering in the most excruciating pain, that he, he was really, really, the, the, the cross is one of the worst deaths, or is the worst death. It's horrible. And they try to show, and Western iconography show anguish, and those films show Christ as humanly enduring type of pains of the whipping and things like that. But they're missing the point, which it cannot be shown on TV or in films, etc. It is the fact that Christ, that even though he was suffering as a human, he still had the peace and the serenity. And that's what the elder had. That's what the martyrs had. That's why a lot of people changed. They would see the martyrs of old suffering in the, during the Roman Empire, for example, and they saw them so serene and so peaceful, that's what caused them to convert and become Christians. A lot of them didn't change because of preaching. A lot of them changed because they couldn't get over the, the, how they would suffer with joy. And today, there are people who are suffering in hospital and people that are dying and people that are suffering and have that joy to some extent. At the same time, it's called hamulipi, which in Greek, it's like joyful sorrow. Sorrowful, in pain, but there is a joy there as well, which God gives to those who are suffering. And, you know, I don't like talking about things, but just for my example, when I saw my mum passing away because she had motor neuron disease, the horrible disease where you become paralysed in every part of your body. But the only thing with that disease is that your mind is 100% intact. 
So in other words, you, not like other diseases where it affects your mind a lot of times, this, in her disease, every muscle stopped functioning except for the eyes. All she could do was, at the end, was uh, blink. That was the communication, one for yes, two for no, etc. That's all she could do. She was a prisoner in her own body. She couldn't move at all. Now, sometimes I noticed that she would become darkened, whereby, obviously, I would say that she was suffering and maybe complaining or maybe just finding it difficult because it was horrible. But other times... And I'm not saying this because of other, this, we've seen this in other people as well, maybe some of you have seen it as well, whereby other times she actually had such a peace and she actually was very bright, very, very bright, like there was a light coming from her. And that's at times when God would give the grace. So God sometimes takes the grace away and give, etc., etc. And that's what happened with the martyrs. Don't think that they never felt pain. They felt pain. I actually saw that. And that's from grace. God gives the grace for us to endure suffering if we ask for it. Um, so for the next 24 hours, he was very serene, but he did suffer a lot. And he did not wish to take any more medication. He didn't want medication. He didn't want to prolong his life. Didn't want it. Sometimes these medications to prolong life just causes more problems. He didn't want that. All he took was cortisone, and the reason, that, because the doctors told him it doesn't prolong your life, it just gives you a bit of strength to endure the, the end times. And he took the cortisone. But he did not want his life to be prolonged. That's a good lesson for us. During Monday night through to Tuesday morning, he suffered, but was very peaceful, as I said, the only words he would say were, my sweet Virgin Mary. That's what he would continually say. Remember, Manathos was um, found by the mother of God. And she said that whoever comes here and struggles, I will help them. The monks that go there devote their life to um, Christ and have as their protector the mother of God. On the same day, Tuesday during the day, Father Paisius humbly and peacefully gave his soul to God, whom he had deeply loved and served since his childhood. He was buried according to his wishes at the, at the convent of St. John the Theologian in Surati, Thessaloniki. Elder Paisius has become one of the most famous elders of Greece. He captured the minds and hearts of the Greek faithful, and his counsels have been published in many languages. Greek, English, French, Bulgarian, Romanian, Serbian, Russian, Arabic, even Albanian. His works are also in the process of, of, of to be um, further published. Korean. Hungarian, Georgian, Finnish, Slovakian, Italian, and German, to name a few. His grave has become a place of pilgrimage. Thousands of pilgrims visit his grave each year so as to receive his help and bless him. So that's why God didn't allow him to go back to the mountain, because he wanted him to die there to be later on a source of help to the people. Others got back to the mountain and they died there. Some died completely cut off from the world. That's how God chose. In this case, he chose for that. I'm quite, um, at least I finished. Usually I don't finish anything, but I actually finished today. But next talk, I'm going to go through meetings with him, people that met him, advice and things like that that he gave, and he's also his teachings 
on the spiritual life, and they are really good. Well, obviously, I didn't have time today. Okay, any questions before we end? Yes, Terry. Well, would you say So the Paisus actually says that this working on Sundays and things like that in St. Cosmas, who, who I've got his name, he actually said that money made on Sundays cursed. Now, this is for orthodox Christians or for conscious Christians. As for those who don't believe, we're not here to judge them. We can't make a Jew, for example, keep Sunday. They don't believe. We can't make a Muslim keep Sunday because they believe in Friday. That's not for us. For us as Christians, in particular Orthodox Christians here, we do not work on Sunday. And what if we do work on Sunday in major feast days, that just we don't make anything. It just it just chase our tails continually. As for the crisis being that, I'm not into those prophecies. I rather have an elder who has an enlightenment to say that. This is because of that, which he does say things like that in his writings. I haven't got that boldness to say that, um, you know, like people say, the Twin Towers were hit in America because uh, Americans started to pass laws in favour of homosexuality, things like that, or other types of theories like that. I'm not, don't like those type of things, so I would prefer to say, let's see what the elders say, what modern-day elders that are around, what they say, take more notice of them. Those type of things we can make mistakes in. But in general, for us, whether it's Twin Towers or whether it's economic crime, for us, as Orthodox Christians, we avoid working on Sundays and we avoid working on major feast days if we want the blessing. In the old days, in the villages, they were really strict. And I think Serbia, this other fellow told me, a Serbian priest, he said that in Serbia, they were really even more strict than the Greeks. When it was a feast day, they would not work. They actually felt that if they worked on that day, that some bad would happen to them. My mum told me in her days in the village, I think they had a church dedicated to St. Paraskevi, and some person decided to get his mule to uh, grind wheat. And as the mule was going around, it cracked its leg and the leg completely broke and things like that. And they took that as being that... Um, it was a punishment for working on a big feast day. Others might say, well, it's a coincidence. Others might say it's superstitious. Whatever, it's up to you what you believe. But in general, we know we shouldn't work on those days, yes? And by extension, is it also us, as Orthodox or just as Christians, patronising businesses that we shouldn't actually It's not our job to, to judge others. Is that what you're saying? No, no, like, um, if, we, if we decide we're not going to work, Ah, yeah, like um, going to shops and things on Sundays and doing our shop. We should try and work all these things out that we're not to. Yeah, that's that's right. Because then we're we're saying we're not going to work on Sunday, but yet we're encouraging those who work. I mean, there are some exceptions, uh, things like that. But in general, we should try to strive towards that. Another question. George. He said that the priesthood is not a, a condition for salvation, he says, for himself. He says, you know, I don't have to become a priest to be saved. He, he, I think he also felt that he was unworthy. Um, 
a lot of people in Mount Athos, a lot of people in monasteries, they don't become, they don't want to become, even when they're told to become, a lot of them don't want to become. Some do it because out of obedience. They just feel that they're unworthy for it. And he said, I don't need to become a monk, a priest to be saved. To me, to be saved is for me to be a monk. He didn't know he was going to become an elder. That's not because he says, I'm going to help people anyway. But he just didn't want to become. And a lot of saints didn't become um, a, a priest. He just said, it's not necessary for my salvation. Does that answer? It's not necessary yet. Any other questions? Yes? Uh, some people might say that, that he made that up out of humility. No, he meant it. He meant it. Yes, go on. Some people blame communism. They say, oh, it was the communists that came and they destroyed churches and they did this and this and that. But, you know, a lot of the holy elders that lived in that time, they actually said that we shouldn't blame them because they only are God's instrument. That communism came because of the sins of the people, because of the apostasy. Many times in the Old Testament, God allowed other nations to, to attack the Jews and he called them my... There's a word that he used, God used in the in the writings that my, anyway, he called them something where, where they were his instrument to punish us. Like Orthodox, we were taken over by the Turks. We lost Constantinople in 1453 because of the sins of the Greeks at that time. So we lost it and we had the Turks for 400 and Northern Greece and Serbia and other countries had them for 500 years. They were there to uh, put us back into line. So we can't say it's their fault we say it's our fault. The problems of the church, for example, Elder Paisus would say, if the patriarchs are praying with heretics and all these problems, he would say that a lot of times that's our fault as well because a lot of times we don't pray and we're not leading spiritual lives to pray for our hierarchs. And things. He looked at things differently to the way we do. And when you read his, his books, and we'll see more next month, hopefully, God willing, we'll see how his attitude was towards those topics. Anything else? Okay. So, just quickly, those who are in the church today, and if they weren't, this icon and the oil was brought from one of our people here, Helen, that went overseas to Greece. And this is a miracle which occurs in Greece with the snakes of the Mother of God. I wrote that little bit of a description out there for you. It's a true miracle, but miracles in themselves aren't enough, and that's why I don't usually refer to many miracles all the time, because I don't want people to come to the church because they're astounded by some miracle. St. John Christum says miracles are for unbelievers. They're there, and they're for our... They're there, they help, but Elder Basil says God can convert everyone immediately on earth just through miracles. He doesn't do that. He doesn't want that. He wants people to convert because they love him, because they see that he's good and that they want to be saved, etc. That's why we come to the church to struggle, not because of just a miracle. However, they're there 
and this is an undisputable one. Scientists have gone there. They can't. They cannot work out how these snakes that cannot be found anywhere on the mount on this particular island, Kefalonia, they cannot find them anywhere. And actually, I made a mistake. They come out on the 6th of August, new calendar, by the way, 6th of August, Transfiguration of Christ. They come out from around the bell tower and they hang around until the night before the Domitian. And then they go into the church. They go on the icons and people pick them up, children pick them up, and even though children don't like them, and women don't like them, and a lot of people don't like them. But on that day, no one's scared of them. And they put them on themselves and they hold them and let them be on their heads, on their chest, etc., etc. And that's a, a miracle. And the snakes have got a cross on their head and on their tongues. And then later on, uh, when the liturgy is over, they become wild again. No one can go near them. And then they disappear. Now, some people try to explain that and they say, oh, it's because they're migrate some stupidities but um you cannot explain why snakes come out on that day and they go on that day and they only go to that church and they and they go on the icons etc especially the mother of god so as you can see there that is they go on the mother of god they go on different icons they go and they even sit on the bishop's um rod when he's on the throne etc anyway that's good it helps us but we're not going to just say oh, just from that I'm going to convert and become orthodox or I'm going to become more faithful. These things help us, but don't convert just on miracles because later on if you see some Indian guru doing a miracle and you go, oh, I'm going to go and become a Hindu or something. You know, So just miracles in themselves are not enough. There's more to life than that. So at the end, whoever's interested and they didn't come to the church earlier, I can put oil on them from that church which was given to us. Also with the talks, because some people have asked me, talk number 13, which is on marriage, agony or blessedness. Last month's talk, are we seeking salvation or are we deceiving ourselves and others? And then these are the other talks on marriage, whom to marry, not to marry, and better to marry than to burn in passion, because some people were asking about that. So that's that. And as I said, with these books... They are excellent books and I would recommend them and you will become transformed from reading the elders' um, books. And also today I have prepared for you, because last month I did the talk on um, the Holy Martyrs, Adrian Italian, I didn't finish it because I don't usually finish things. So I said to myself, well, I'm going to publish this for you so that way you've got the whole life. And also... There was something that I was meaning to do for a while about the Orthodox Christian marriage by a priest, Alexei Young. He wrote it when he was married. He was a married priest. But he later on now he's a monk because his wife died. And um, that's an excellent article on marriage. Thank you for your attention. And I hope that you benefit. And any weaknesses or problems with the way I say things, you know, just scrap it. Just don't worry about those things. Because I'm human and therefore when I say things, I say things with passion sometimes. I say a joke which is not right or I say an expression which is not really good. Just don't worry about those things. Don't be like an NRMA insurer guy, you know, the, where they go and check your cars. I remember my friends when they used to smash their cars, they used to say, um, I hope this guy writes it off, you know, write off, meaning that What's the point in if your car's all smashed and then later on they say, oh, you can fix it? 
and usually have all troubles, they prefer when the person says it's a write-off. Write-off means it can't be fixed. And some people have got what's called the write-off spirit. And whatever they see in the church or they see something in the priest, they call it, it's, they want to write it off and go, oh, he's no good because he said this. They hear one little thing and they just say, oh, he's no good because he said that wrong. I, I'm sure I said things wrong tonight. That's okay. I've got no problems with that. But don't write off everything because of one or two mistakes. That's demonic and you miss out on receiving benefit and especially today where we received all this help from Elder, and next month I want to continue on with his teachings and the, and the events where people used to meet him, and I'm sure you will receive benefit immensely. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, save us. Amen.